Hi, I'm Kevin McGuire, currently the penciler of DC Comics Supergirl, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Feels like a billion years. It really does. Um, a gajillion years. We've talked recently-ish. Yeah. It's, it's you know, now, it's, it's our long lost right. brother. That now we're babysitting. Finally back. So. Skip the week, y'all. A single week. Yeah, Weeks a long time, my friend. It's, you know, yeah. Okay, we, you had one normal recording, no bonus episode, and one small side pocket episode. Which is... No, the side pocket episode is attached to this. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Don't right. say in terms of sessions. But we still, right, but we still connected. We still got right. to speak to one another she? twice yeah. since the last time you were here. So facts. that's, it, it feels, it feels <laughs> way too long is what I'm saying. Yeah, hashtag facts. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is it. This is 11 o'clock comics, episode 684. Adele. And I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Indeed you are, and I am Balmore's best. I'm Marlo Stanfield. Oh, you're not. You're Jason Wood. Back, finally, from the trenches. <laughs> finally. Right. Oh, finally, from- the wood has come back to EOC. I thought you were going to say roost, but did you, did you have a little... A little carving of how many foot massages you, you did over the... <laughs> that, that, that he had to perform or that were performed to him? It doesn't matter. <laughs> as long as you get a little nick, that's a foot massage. <laughs> no? Wait, why, why would I be doing getting or receiving foot massages? He doesn't even remember that's how long it's been. I know. Wow. No, I don't. What did we talk about? A little bit. He'd have to go... You'd have to go to our Slack. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh I vaguely remember. Uh, Yeah, well... <laughs> Well, there's yeah. there's one thing that you should not vaguely remember. You should take to heart and keep it in the forefront of your brain at every instance of every day because it's going to save you money. It's going to reduce the amount of filthy lucre you spend on your books. And where does this happen? Only one place. Discount Comic Book Service. DCBService.com. One more time. DCB Service. Dot com will get you the books you want at the price you are happy to pay. And I got something jammed in my throat, but that's okay. I shall persevere. It's DC month. Yep. All DC all the time this month on the list of specials. First of all, it's a trifecta of savings. Not one, not two, but three hardcover books each Retail for twenty four ninety nine, you are going to pay twelve dollars and forty nine cents for Basket Full of Heads by Joe Hill and Leo Max, Dollhouse Family by Mike Carey, Peter Gross, and Vince Locke, and The Lolo Woods by Carmen Maria Machado and Danny. All from Hill House, all fifty percent off. Tell me where else you're gonna find that. You can't because there's nowhere. The meat between the buns is from DC Black Label. It's the question, the deaths of Vic Sage hardcover. This collects all four issues of the limited Black Label oversized series written by Jeff Lemire, 
Art by Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz. The back cover of this thing tells me it's $29.99, but it's not at Discount Comic Book Service. It's $14.99. Again, boys' pants. The Bottom of the Bun from Steve Gerber and Mary Screnes. Artist is Brian Hurt and Steve Bird. It is the complete Hard Times hardcover. This is a massive book. Collects Hard Times um, 1 to 12 and Hard Times Season 2, 1 to 7. Do the math. $39.99 cover price. No way. You, you're laughing. You're hitting your knee and you're slapping it and you're saying, that is ridiculous because I'm only going to pay $19.99 at Discount Comic Book Service. They do not mind late orders or order editions, and you get your books shipped very securely. Sometimes I need a machete to get the damn tape off the, the machete. Yeah, machete to get the tape off the bags. They, you just go there. Discount comic book service. You won't be sorry. DCBService.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now I got a drink because I was I was losing it. <laughs> I don't bad. like to lose it. I like to maintain what little professionalism I have. I like to lose it. Lose it. So, Mr. Absentee Ballot, why don't you tell us <laughs> what, what what you were reading? Make me seem like I'm a meanderer who just pops in every now and then. You're deadbeat dead. That's what you are. Like a special guest host or something. <laughs> he's, got his, he's, got his, he's got his stick in his bindle, just hopped off the train. Yep. Yeah, it was a little, <laughs> base, his little catcher's mitt on there. You guys want to play? We don't even know who you are. Right. <laughs> Well, I will say that, uh, especially uh, we're recording on the night that uh, Netflix reported its earnings for the quarter. And uh, I will say that uh, Netflix is awesome. We all love it. And they are doing uh, an ungodly amount of comic book adaptations, whether it be TV, serialized stuff, or film. And it's hit or miss. You know, I mean, yeah. some of it is has been okay. Some of it has been pretty bad, and every now and then something's been awesome. And I, I don't know if either of you had a chance to watch it yet, but I watched it the other day, and absolutely adored uh, the old guard. Not yet. It's on the list. It is on yeah. the list. I haven't watched it because I wasn't sure if it was a movie or if it was a it's uh, a, a yeah. miniseries. But yeah, it is a movie, so I just yeah. need the the two hours to sit down with it. Yeah. Um. So the old guard is a just a little over two hour film made by Netflix, uh, adapting the, uh, fantastic series, uh, mini series by written by Greg Rucka with art by Leandro Fernandez. And I, first of all, I thought the, sh- I thought the movie was great. Uh, I thought it looked great. I thought it was well cast and it was probably the most, um, direct adaptation of a comic work we've seen in a long time. Um, it pretty much was like the comic, the first five issues miniseries was pretty much like a storyboard for the movie. Now, like with anything, cause it's a movie, they, they added a little sprinkle of something here. They, they downplay a little something, something here, but the crux of it, the characters, how they met their histories, the main plot points, the antagonists, the fight scenes, all pretty much pulled directly out of the pages of the comic. Um, so I was so smitten by the movie that I went back and uh, I realized that I still had all I had read the first issue of the sequel, the old guard, old guard force multiplied number one of five, but I had all the issues and I hadn't read the rest. So I went back this week and I reread 
the Old Guard Volume 1 uh, and to set myself up to read the Old Guard Force Multiplied, uh, also by Rucka and Fernandez. And um, first of all, the original series was as good as I remembered it. It was, uh, for those that don't remember, it came out in 2017. Uh, and the story is fairly straightforward. It's basically a giant action espionage miniseries where there are a group of immortals uh, led by uh, a woman uh, who is played um, uh, uh, in the, the movie, uh, played in the Netflix movie, um, by, uh, oh God, what's her name now? Um, Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron, thank you. Uh, by Charlize Theron, which is a little odd because in the comics she's uh, a brunette because she's from like ancient, ancient like European times, you know, uh, like Mediterranean. But but nevertheless, um, the, the premise is essentially it's modern times and there are uh, four immortals that work together, hang together uh, as a paramilitary unit um, kind of just going through life. They have been together for a long time. Uh, their youngest member, who is is like 200 years old, um, but uh, but but the leader, who in the movie is played by Theron, she, she is uh, so old that she tells people she doesn't even remember how old she is, uh, and it's clear that she's millennia old. Um, but they're not vampires. I mean, they're, they're human in every way other than the fact that they're immortal. They're basically like Wolverine. If, if they get shot, cut, burnt, whatever, bones broken, they just heal very quickly. Um, so, but it's basically, a, they're, they're, they meet up with a contact, ex-CIA, and he, uh, he he entices them to go on a mission to, they believe they're going to uh, rescue, to the Sudan to rescue 17 schoolgirls who have been taken hostage. Um, but in essence, they, they in fact were set up uh, and uh, and they were set up so that they would be quote unquote killed in the line of the mission, and all of it was recorded to prove to a potential benefactor of this person who set them up uh, that that they are in fact immortal. Um, and then once once they do that, the mission then becomes where they try and capture one or more of them um, to essentially use in a lab to figure out how to synthesize their immortality because obviously that would be worth billions of dollars to the antagonist who is a very rich uh, bio um, biopharma tycoon, if you will. Um, and that's really the premise of the first, the first um, story arc. You get some background into how they all met. Uh, and then the, un- the, the secondary arc is that while this is all happening and everything's kind of going uh, belly up, uh, because they've been exposed, because they they try and keep themselves hidden from 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 the world, understandably. Um, as this is all happening, a new immortal is born for the first time in hundreds of years, and she is a um, Muslim American uh, black woman um, who is serving in the U.S. military. She gets her throat cut. Her name is Nile. She gets her throat cut uh, on a mission in the Middle East. Um, presumed dead, but obviously because she's immortal, she heals up immediately and it freaks everybody out. And so uh, the other group, um, when a new immortal is born, they they have dreams, kind of almost like a summoning, like the Highlander. They can they can sense when when a new one is around, and so they 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 dream of her and they agree that they're going to go bring her aboard because they have to they, they feel compelled to 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 make sure that they're always together because they have each other's back. So they go and get her, and she joins the crew. 
and uh, and that's really the premise. I mean, then they have to try and fight their way through. There's a, a there's some backstabbing, which I don't want to give away for those that haven't read it, but there's definitely some uh, there's a fox in the hen house, so to speak. Um, some double crossing, and then that leads to a big twist ending. Um, but at the end of it, it's 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 a really well paced, wonderfully illustrated by Fernandez um, um, action movie uh, or action action story, um, which is then adapted into an action movie. Um, which brings us to the new volume, um, which started coming out late last year and then finished up this year right before COVID. Um, and that's Force Multiplied, and that basically picks up not too far from where the first one left off. Um, they're going about their business uh, doing missions here or there, but there is a new player on the scene internationally, and it's an Asian woman. And what gets interesting here is in the first um, miniseries, they make allusions to a few of the immortals that are no longer here anymore. Um, and so you might be wondering, well, wait a minute, you said they're immortal. They're immortal until they're not. Like, that's the weird twist. Um, sometimes they can die after a couple hundred years. Sometimes, like with uh, the lead antagonist or protagonist, she she's lived for nearly 7,000 years. But at some point, and they don't know why, uh, one time when they get killed, they just die. Um, and so we get a little glimpse into some of her former compatriots, including uh, a woman named Noriko, who she met, and they were essentially a couple for like 2,000 years before Noriko was, uh, let's say, doomed to a horrible fate and presumed dead. So in the second arc, we come to find out that, uh, like any good immortal, um, presumed dead does not mean dead. And it really then becomes a battle of learning about their respective histories and uh and understanding Noriko's motivations and um trying to figure out whether she's good bad whether whether uh the other immortals are really good or bad and um it's kind of evocative dap i know that you are a fan like i am of angel you know uh, mm-hmm. of buffy you know and how he was obviously a horrible horrible evil being for a long time and then he got a soul and I know in the TV show and the comic, they spend a lot of time kind of going back and forth and, and reminding you. And it's kind of like this, like in the first in the first series, all of the immortals are basically portrayed as benevolent. I mean, they're they're taking missions, but the missions are like to rescue again, to rescue hostages, to like overthrow corrupt governments. Um, but it stands to reason that if you've lived for nearly 7000 years and spent most of your life as a warrior and an assassin, you've done some pretty heinous things too. You've had periods. And so that kind of the second arc gets into that, like a little bit about their histories and about why, in fact, they really weren't necessarily for a long periods of time, centuries and even thousands of years, depending, uh, were pretty bad people. Um, and so it all kind of sets up for a third. It's really a giant second act as we come to find out. And then there's the third miniseries. Don't know if it's coming out soon or just, they, they, they preview it at the end of this miniseries. So it'll be a third five issue miniseries and it'll be the culmination of the entire arc. So, so this, so the force multiplied is in effect, a second act. I will say it suffers a bit from that in the sense that the first arc, which the movie is, is just nonstop, Intro, action, 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 conclusion. This is a little bit more plot twisty, character development, backstory. Um, so very worthwhile. I enjoyed it quite a bit, particularly probably enhanced by the fact that I had just seen the film 
but definitely a bit of a bridge to what I presume will be another balls out uh, nonstop fight fest a la John Wick in the final arc. So um, highly recommend it. I presume, especially because this Netflix uh, movie is getting a lot of attention, it's getting a lot of ratings and popular. I presume they're going to be making sequels of the films that tie into these other uh, arcs. And I then presume that because of all this, we'll get a really nice oversized hardcover of all 15 issues once the third arc concludes. And it definitely belongs on your shelf. Um, for those that don't know Leandro's art style, uh, you know I've had this running theme this year, right, with this this school of of cartooning. Uh, Fernandez is is right there in the 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 Santos uh, Elsa Charitier, uh Eduardo Risso camp. Um, he leans more on the Risso side, and that in that Risso is Santos is very clean and linear and solid black. Risso is obviously much. Uh, grimier and organic in his line and, and uh, you know, people aren't pretty. Uh, that's where Leandro kind of comes from. Most of the characters are not pretty. Um, uh, some of you may be familiar with R.M. Guerra's work. It's it's evocative of that in many ways. Um, but I love it. I mean, it, it's, it seems to be the art style that I'm most drawn toward these days. These These art styles that spot tons of black on the page and don't need nor use a lot of color. Um, it's just, I'm just a huge fan. I've, I've met Landry a few times at cons, got some art from him. So, uh, highly recommend it artistically. And listen, Ruck is a great writer, particularly when, you know, Rucka's thing is kind of writing strong female lead characters. And this is another one in the long list of, uh, of his works that, uh, that are defined by a strong, uh, female lead. In this case, there's, there's multiple female leads, but, but you get my point. Um, so yeah, two thumbs up for the old guard, the whole thing. So if y'all are on Netflix, watch the movie. It's it's way better than a lot of the other Netflix comic adaptations we've seen lately, and uh, and then read the comics if you haven't. Nice. I can't not watch a movie featuring my Furiosa. Yeah, exactly. She's exactly. gorgeous. She's a yeah, vision, sure. and she can. And yeah. okay, yeah, she's beautiful, but she can act as well. Yes, yes dude, she, she kicks so. so much ass in this. I mean, <laughs> she probably. Ki- I mean, it's John Wick level. Like, like she kills. By herself, probably at least a hundred people on the camera on the screen. Well, they're already pairing them together, which is redundant. They're already pairing them for a future movie. They said, "Wow, wouldn't it be cool if Charlize and and uh, Wick did a a team up movie?" And uh, yeah, it would be great. But oh, they are. Uh, there's been talk. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, because she's she's part of the Fast and Furious franchise now too. Yeah. Of, yeah. 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 So she's, I mean, she's, as you said, she's a beautiful woman. She's a very good actress. I mean, Academy Award winning actress. I mean, yeah, the fact that she transforms us. I mean, when she, as Arlene Warnos and and Monster, I mean, she's just, she is, she's a, she, she obviously is a, a woman who who takes her craft extremely seriously. It doesn't, I I don't, I don't see her just, I mean, you you could look at her at a resume and go, okay, well, yeah, so, so she was the evil stepmother queen and 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 she was in a mad max movie she doesn't take a job for a page she's not she's not Mel gibson she's not just showing up because it's like someone's offering her a job she actually they 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 see her in these roles they she and and she's going to kick ass in them so um yeah she's definitely somebody who makes me want to see something because if if she actually took the time to want to do this then it's something that i think is worth my time to check out because i'm not probably going to be bored by it well, the other interesting thing is, and again, you haven't, you guys haven't seen the movie, so I, I won't get into it. But there, there, 
because it was such a faithful adaptation of the comic, uh, I, I mean, as I said, more so than than almost anything else I can think of that I've that comes to mind. Um, I, I'm I'm immediately drawn to where it wasn't a pure adaptation because so much of it was panel to panel that I'm thinking, okay, the things that weren't, why why weren't they? And 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 uh, and one of the things is um, Andy the. The, the leader, her real name is all of them have Americanized names now because they've been around for so long. But but her real, original name was Andromache, like Andromeda, but with M A C H E at the end, Andromache, uh, Andromache of Scythia. And she, in the comic, she's incredibly promiscuous. On on screen, I mean, Leandro draws it, and and they speak of it, and she she owns it. She she's essentially an nymphomaniac. Uh, in part because she's just constantly she's just bored. It's got it's just way of passing the time trying to feel something. Um, uh, in in the movie, that is not. There's nothing sexual about uh, Charlize's character at all. Um, so so I, I and I presume that was probably my choice, you know, because it was such. It was one of the few things that wasn't purely taken from the characterizations of the comics. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was really great. And and the other like the other cool thing is the two of the other three that there's five all total because because there's Niall, she's new, but. Uh, but um, uh, there's there's Joe and Nikki, and they discovered they were immortal when they killed each other on the battlefield in the Crusades. <laughs> Joe was um, um, uh, was you know a heathen, you know presumably Islamic. They don't say that specifically, but and uh, and and Nikki was an Italian Catholic part of the Holy Roman Emperor uh, Empire, and they were on the battlefield and they kept killing each other and they kept not dying. And now, fast forward, they've now been inseparable lovers for a thousand years. Like they fell in love on the battlefield, and I mean that's that's clever. I, I, you don't see yeah. that very often, right? That's no. there, there's a and 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 their their relationship is a big part of the of the story as well because they they have a bond that goes beyond the bond they all share as the only let's say type of their species, if you will. I don't know if you would call them a species, but you know that they view themselves as separate from humanity because they are the only known immortals that is, so they all congregate together, even if they don't necessarily always like each other. But, uh, yeah, it was dope, man. It was, uh, like I said, I, I think Ruckus, I mean, we had him on what a decade ago. I mean, I, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a minute. And I don't know that any of us have seen or spoken to him really since, but, but, uh, I, I do think he's an incredibly talented writer. I, yep. I, I, I do. I, I think, and it's nice to see, I know, uh, what was it? White out like was kind of a flop when it came out and, and it was his first big thing turned into a, a movie, and it seems like he's on a bit of a roll now, right? With uh, with this Stumptown. and Stumptown, yeah. yeah it just so it, I, I hope he's making some sh- some cheddar off this because the dude has been putting out quality comics, uh, both both for the big two, but also mainly for himself for a long time. It's true. Speaking of that, I, I just saw Queen and Country is going to be made into a uh, Netflix show. That one of his original series well yikes because then all the people that have been clamoring for a reissue of the the comics will get it yeah for sure yeah oh how about the uh before you guys talk comics how about the news of uh usagi getting turned into a cartoon on netflix it's awesome yeah that's great right stan's like one of the nicest guys and it, it it does my heart good to see that all of the effort he's putting into usagi over the decades like he's been devoting his entire life to this character for what yeah. I don't know how many decades, 
but it and it's right? it's quality stuff. So it mm-hmm. it does your heart good to see like maybe there's someone at these big mega media corporations that has a little bit of taste and knows what's good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, every time I feel like we mention Usagi, we feel compelled to mention that collectively, even though we've all read an insane amount of comic, our our combined experience with Usagi is relatively modest. Yeah. yeah. Sadly. Yeah. I, I own a bunch of it now. I mean, I've bought all the archival stuff that's come out in the last five, six years um, with the intention of, of diving in. And I did read some of the the first few, I guess they'd be volumes worth um, um, when the when the when the reprints started coming out. But yeah, I mean, I, there's just thousands and thousands of pages of Usagi that I've yet to experience. Yeah. I have the original stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I was hot for it when it started. Albedo, I think it was in Critters and yeah. the original. Yeah. Albedo, Albedo Anthropomorphics number two. Was his first yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't have like, once it made the jump to Fantagraphics, I stuck with it for a little while, but mm-hmm. as with all things, you know, I petered out and then um, didn't go with it to Dark Horse. Was it right? I think it was at Dark Horse for a number of years. Yeah, it's so it's it's been at Thoughts and Images, which is where Albedo, Fanta, Mirage, Radio Comics, uh, Dark Horse, and then IDW. Yeah, but I mean, it's great stuff. I just it's just one of those things that um, sometimes you lose track of things. Yeah. Not no, not, not I mean, consciously, you know. It's just, yeah. but then when a property jumps around like that, mm-hmm. um, like Madman and and other things, where you know what company is that now? It's it's difficult to keep it at the forefront of mm-hmm. of your consciousness, even if it's yeah. great. Even like Evan Dorkin stuff, Pirate Core, like it, it's mm-hmm. a bunch of different places. So we're only human. I get overwhelmed. I mean, I've been spending a lot of time in the comic room the last few weeks sorting to get these care packages out that we're all trying to catch up on. And uh, it's been fun, but it's also been overwhelming in the sense that every moment I'm in there, I'm just seeing stuff that I want to read, mm-hmm. either reread or to read for the first time. And it's just overwhelming because I then realize that it's just – for a lot of it, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Like I'm just, I don't, I just don't have the time that I'd like to to solely devote to just reading comics, and it's it, it just depends on my mood. Sometimes it feels great to say that because it's like going to a toy store and just being able to go in and clear your mind and whatever you pick, you just read and you've always got something that you can. There's there's some type of genre or mood I have something to read that fits any of that, which is great. But then other times I'm like, oh my god! Like, I so much of this I I would I want to I want to experience, and I just I just don't I can't prioritize it. I don't. Yeah, know it's how daunting. Yeah. It is. It's very daunting. I know we're all in the same boat, and pretty much I'm sure 90 percent of our listenership is like, yeah, preach. Yeah. But uh, that is the I guess that's the blessing and the curse of being a fanatic about something, right? Yeah, I'll put my Chris hat on. You know, you eat the elephant one bite at a time. So did he say that? Did he say that? He always used to say things like that. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds very. It sounds like something he would have said. Yeah. It's as obvious as a fart in a car. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I used to love uh, it. When he, he, you can stick a sneaker in the oven and don't make it a biscuit. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if he came up with these while he was at Marshall's shopping for party clothes. God love him. God love him. So what floated y'all's boat this week? What 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 got you turgid? Oh. 
<laughs> it doesn't take much. Mm. I <laughs> have at your advancing age. I have over twelve hundred pages read for this episode. Good God! Wow. Yeah. Yep. So I'll break it up. Yeah, tell us about three or four of them. I'll. I'm, <laughs> That's I'll, how much time we got for. So yeah. I'll break it up because for me, it's a dark horse manga orama. This Ooh, episode, yes, I have nothing, yummy. nothing but dark horse manga. Mm. Uh, you've heard about this first one before. Mm-hmm. Um, I read Gantz, Omnibus Volume Five, of course. Yeah, Gantz is your shit. Written and drawn by Hiroya Oku, um, and I'll fill. I, I talked about Volume Four not too long ago, but there's a lot going on. So if if you don't get anything, I'll I'll fill you in real quick. Um, <laughs> Once again, K. Corono is the focus, right? But you would think, what with being recently dead and thrust into this game scenario where he has to fight for his existence, that the Gantz Ball would be his main antagonist. But it's not. Um, Izumi is his uh, archenemy in this this volume. Uh, If you remember, Izumi was um, the teen that perpetrated the Shinjuku massacre. Remember, he dressed up, made himself up like a black man, went down to Shinjuku, and just started picking off people because he wants to die. He wants to go back to the game because he was there before. And he thought the express train to the Gantz game was to commit a horrible act, killing many people, including himself, and be thrust back into the game because the only time he feels alive is when he's in the game. Life and death. Uh, is, is the switch on or is it off? You lose at the game. If you die within the game, you die. Your, your existence is obliterated. If you get 100 points, then you have options. You can return to the, the real world, in quotes. You can revive a dead teammate, etc. There are three things you could do. Um, you could upgrade your weapons and stuff. Um, uh, so in this volume, they're all thrown back into the game, and Izumi has a massive sword. It's called the Gantz Sword, and this thing, it's ridiculously big. Like, I'm not saying it's just, like, cloud-sized. It's huge. It, it's like, say, um, 100 feet long. It, no one could ever lift this sword, yet, because of the power suit, he's able to do it, and rightly so... Because they're chucked into the game, and Gant says, okay, here's your target. He's called the Bumpkin Alien. And, they, you know, as with all missions, they, he shows a picture of the, their target on the ball. And it doesn't, it's, it's this little bald critter with, a, with a, a, a country bumpkin hat on. They're like, okay, let's just go get this done. But with all things Gantz, you know it's not going to be as easy as it looks. And they get there, and there's this little guy... And he's very self-conscious that people perceive him to have an accent. He's like, what do you mean I got an accent? And this little tiny alien creature thing. But it's a ruse because the threats are much, much larger because as Volume 5 explodes with rampaging dinosaur action that Volume 4 hinted at, they fight multiple T-Rexes, packs of Velociraptors. There are... Triceratops, uh, 
creatures that start off as run-of-the-mill triceratops, but then they morph and they turn into these massive anthropomorphic triceratops. They look kind of like the triceratons from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, only they're they're much uglier and much bigger and much more savage. Um, so everybody's back in the game, and there's new people. The recently dead. They they pulled more people into the game. Um, there's a quartet of rapists. It's a feel good book. Uh, four rapists died. Their victim died in tandem with them. They were in a car and they raped her, and she was in the back seat. And they were and the car crashed and they all died. So they all get to play the game. Yay! Uh, there's an elderly man. The black ball calls Baldy, and he's a character. That appears in the outrageously good Gantz O on Netflix. Have either of you seen that? Not yet. It's a freaking masterpiece. Nah, you awesome. no, you need to watch it. It is no, I mean no, I haven't seen it's it. A, no, it's a yeah. rock solid masterpiece. It's great. Mm-hmm. A teen star named Reka recently died, and she's the apple of the eyes of millions of pubescent boys. Fetching, right? More than a tad top heavy. And she's also in the Netflix movie, by the way. She's she's what when when someone says starlet, she's the image that pops up. She's quote perfect. She's the perfect woman, right? She's a, she uh so she does campaigns for hair products and makeup and you know dresses and stuff. She's the the idol, right? So she died, and she's in the game now. But unfortunately, Kay enters the mission without his protective suit. Which is insane. It, it's leaving him at a life-threatening disadvantage. Every, all, everybody else has their power suits on. They could take a ton of damage. Kay's running around just in civilian clothes. He didn't have time to get his, his suit. Um, but the kid perseveres, right? And he bonds with Baldy. And Baldy, this, this old salary man, he admires Kay, Kay's passion for life and survival but the thing that's pushing Kay on to get out of this game, to, to win and to survive, is his girlfriend, Tay. And remember, I told you he lost a bet, and because of losing, he had to date this girl for two weeks. Uh, fortunately, the jokers that perpetrated the bet are no longer alive, but she's not the, the most attractive She's certainly not Reka, right? She's she's a kind of mousy, quiet, very intelligent, artistic, introspective girl. She's not a beauty queen, but something about her grew on him, right? She's in she's completely devoted to Kay. There's a sex scene I will not detail, but she swallows. Um, she she spends her idle time drawing in her notebook, and she's drawing pictures of Kay, her boyfriend. Like, she loves this guy. Um, but CK, he, he desires attention. At the time of his death, he left his family to live by himself because his father doted on his younger brother, Akira. Mom didn't really care. And so he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go live by myself. You don't give a shit about me. I'm going to go have my own apartment. And the father's like, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. Um, so... So Tay provides him with the companionship and attention and love that he never got from his family. And it, and it kicked into high gear after Izumi threatened to kill her during the Shinjuku massacre. That was the whole thing to get Kay out. He 
manipulated Tay into Shinjuku and he had a gun pointed at her head and was definitely going to kill her. But obviously he did not. Um, unfortunately, Kay's been keeping secrets from uh, Tay. He hasn't told her about the Gantz game. And he harbors other secrets that I'll get to real soon. So, massive dinosaur mayhem. Um, there's a new vehicle introduced in this volume. It's a, basically a cross between a giant wheel and a motorcycle. It's in the, the Netflix movie. You gotta see it, right? So, Kay drives the thing while Baldi's on the back shooting at T-Rexes. So you got T-Rexes chasing after this giant wheel and the body parts flying all over the place. T-Rex bones and viscera just spewing all over the place. Um, I, I don't want to spoil too much of the battle because it goes on for m definitely more than 100 pages and probably double that, right? It's mm. it's awesome. It's the meat of this volume is the dinosaur battle. Um, but the takeaway here is Kay enters the battle without his suit and he rallies all these new dead people, these newbies. He pushes them. They're, they're, dis they're despondent. They don't know what to do. They, they have trauma because they're recently dead. Now they're thrown into this game situation where they got to fight for whatever they called their existence now. Are they alive? Are they dead? How does the hell does Gantz have the power to revive dead people? You don't know, right? So they're in this game, and they're just trying to learn the ropes, and some of them are dying, right? Um, so Kay rallies him, and he's like, come on, guys, we got to do this. Basically, he wants to get back to his girlfriend because he loves her. There's a, a bunch of hardened street thugs, and they admire Kay because like, he gets them out of it. He he makes them win by whatever by the, the slimmest of margins. They beat all the dinosaurs, and everybody has either admiration for K now or a crush. And when you have a star that looks like Rika crushing on a normal dude like K, what happens? Well, that's the problem because when they go back to reality uh, after the game. Reka reaches out to Kay on the sly, right? She knows she has a, he has a girlfriend. She doesn't care. They meet. They go to see a movie. Nothing happens. Like, they don't touch or kiss or anything like that. But Kay is racked with guilt because he has this incredibly devoted girlfriend who just hangs on his every word. And, and now he's with this star who has at least attention for him. So the shit hits the fan because the paparazzi snap a couple of pictures of the two during their meeting and Tay finds out, right? So shit goes downhill very quickly. Kay breaks off with the girl because he blames it on, oh, you know, I can't, I shouldn't really be her boyfriend because I'm in this horrible life and death situation and it's way too dangerous for her. And the longer she stays with me, the greater the possibility she'll lose her life. So I'm just going to end it. And he ends it, and the girl's, like, crushed. So they're drawn back into the game. And the mission, in comparison with other previous missions, is pretty easy, right? They go in, they kill the, the, the aliens, and they're done. And they're all cheering. Yay! And they're all like, all right, Kay, he's the man. He, he brought us to victory again. And the Gantz theme song comes on again, which indicates another mission. And they're like, what the fuck? 
we just beat the aliens. How could we go on another mission seconds after we finished the last one? And they're, they're drawn back into the game. And you'll see it in the Netflix movie. They, like, they're scanned and their body disappears. And you can see, like, cross sections of their body as the scanning goes down their body and they're drawn into the game. So you could, like, they'll be standing there without uh, the top of their head as the, the scan comes down the bridge of their nose and you can see parts of their, inside of their brain and stuff. It's really well done in the book too. Um, so they're drawn back into the game. Never happened before. One right after the other one. But the problem is the target this time, and it's a glaring illustration of something readers had already known Gantz is a prick. The ball is a fucking prick because the target this time around is not an alien monster, as has always been the case. The target is Tei Kojima, Kei's girlfriend, a human. What? <laughs> She's a mousy little girl. And they have this these massive high-powered weaponry and giant 100-foot swords, and now they have to kill the ersatz leader's girlfriend and everybody's just like it it immediately divides the group people pick their loyalties they the ones that are deeply in admiration and or lust with k tried to protect him and and tay but izumi of course dickhead that he is he has people that are on his side and they're like no 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 we got to play this game the way it's it's supposed to be played we got to kill them so it's brilliant but it's fucking devious and it broke my heart because that's where the volume ended. It killed me. Now I don't know until volume six comes out. Like what the hell this, this young, innocent, pure, amazing, artistic girl is going to get destroyed. It's a brutal blood soaked series. I know she's going to die. There's no other way around it. That's what, that's what uh, Hiroya Oku does. He manipulates you into caring for someone, kind of like Kirkman, and then completely, I mean, it's only a matter of time. She's dead, right? But this volume also introduces a new concept into the Gantz universe, nanite vampires. What? Okay. Yeah, what? Nanite vampires that hunt Gantz gamers. For some reason, these vampires can see the gamers even when they're in the game they can enter somehow enter the game and it's insane widescreen bloodshed dismemberment death it's it's puerile it's lascivious it's the manga for me really yep and you may take a look at it and say i don't know you don't usually like the clean line style, Mr. B. <laughs> Why are you liking this so much? And, you know, I've heard you poo-poo on CAD-assisted rendering before. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of CAD backgrounds, vehicles. Uh, you know, I take I take the not-so-great with the awesome. And uh, Oku's a great illustrator. His figure work is impeccable. And if you like naked and half-naked women, the chapter heads of in the entire book are all naked, sweaty women in, in the gaunt suit. So, yes, it's, it's childlike on the one hand, but on the other, it's brutal. It's, it's just gut-wrenching 
how he can suck you into this reality and make you care for these these people. I need it. I need volume six like now. Yeah. Yep. And I was very careful because I was I was Googling the name of the sword. I didn't know it was called the Gaunt Sword. They don't tell you that in the manga. And I, I was like, what is the name of Azumi Sword in Gaunt's? And the wiki came up. And the bastards, like, they put things at the top of the wiki page that you should never see because one thing was spoiled for me. And I'm like, damn it, I should have known better. I should have known. But it, it, it was fairly inconsequential because I don't even know who the person they were talking about is. So it, it must happen somewhere down the line that I'll, get, I'll forget about when the time comes that I, I've read it. So, yeah, Gantz is great. If you have a strong constitution and you like um, human anatomy and, and bloodshed and, and just great sci-fi manipulation, it's a wonderful, wonderful manga. Can't recommend it enough. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's thick as a brick, too. The volumes are huge. They, of course, they uh, encompass three individual Tonkoban. So you're getting three books for the price of, I think it's twenty four ninety nine, but at DCBS it's less. So you're getting the, them for like maybe five, six bucks a piece. Can't beat it. Worth every friggin' penny. It sounds like it. Yeah. That's awesome. It drives my bus. It drives your 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 CAD bus? It well no. There are many CAD buses in it, but I don't I just pretend <laughs> they're like not. It's like your milkshake. It brings all your boys to the yard. Yeah. yeah, I pretend they're not there, the CAD stuff. But I, the the friggin' wheel thing with the motorcycle wheel, that's awesome. He could do all the CAD he wants on that. I, I wouldn't want to draw that thing over and over and over either. But there, it, it used to be it's weird because when um uh i really noticed it not so much in in comic books because obviously you know i mean we've we, we know joe Quesada's has used sketchup and we know artists will use the tools available to them to, i mean nobody wants to draw an entire cityscape by, by hand and just sit there with a ruler and, and so um i absolutely get it but what was what was weird is that uh, a bunch of years ago we were watching uh, an episode of Family Guy and and they were in the car and the car looked nothing like anything else that was drawn on the screen and and then shortly after that I started noticing all the vehicles in in Archer and you know, shout out to Kevin Mellon and and it's it's just one of those things where now I just I, I expect machinery to be actual machinery that that would exist in the real world because they're using uh a computer to assist them in 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 drawing that device um even though everything else is pretty much by hand but it 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 absolutely in 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 the right scenario and in the right hands it 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 works it could look flawless and i am at it yeah the title sequence of futurama is a good example of of computer aided uh, I don't think I've seen. I don't think I've seen an episode. I've seen parts of episodes. I haven't sat down and actually watched. Before. Right. Well, it's mostly the rocket. You know. No. Okay. I, because even for single images, perspective is it's not hard, but it's it's it could be tiresome. Right. Making sure, sure everything lines up. Do you yeah. really want to do that for a car spinning 
360 degrees. Like, who wants to work all those angles out? Right. Let the computer do it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then draw over it. See, that's what they don't mm. do. Right. Mm. Speaking of cartoons, have either of you checked out close enough yet? Yes. How is yeah, it? Yeah, a few episodes. And dude, I love it. Because I, I, I decided to... Um, yeah, I, I fired up the app. It was it was a Sunday night before we were watching an episode of Perry Mason, and 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 it, I, I HBO Max is like, hey, here are things you haven't tried yet, and and I'm looking at the art, and I'm like, this is familiar, and then I realize who created it, and I watched the trailer, and I'm like, oh, we're so down, and and we watched the first because it's just like a Cartoon Network show, it's 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 15 minute episodes, so it's a half hour. We watched the first two episodes, and and I laughed my ass off. I loved it. I I'm stoked for it. I I didn't even really know. I'm I must have missed the whole. Like I wasn't aware of it until. It's a Max it, original, so I don't think it ever. Yeah, made no, it no, I realize that. I'm just saying, like I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember. Like I just don't remember reading that it was that it was part of. That Same it was here. Coming, Same yeah, here. and um, just like watch the entire season. I'm like, when did yeah. this season even start to drip out? But yeah, it. And for those who uh, we're being extremely vague here, it's 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 JJ Quinzel, it's the and and Sean, it's the creators of the regular show, the regular show, right? Yeah, and uh, and and they've uh, and and it looks and sounds. I mean, they're not they're not birds and raccoons, but it it it's it's or squirrels, same but it's absolutely same style, though. Yeah, it's. I mean, he looks and sounds just like Mordecai, and and it's just, but it's funny. And Jason Manzukis is on there as a voice as well, which uh, which excites yeah. me. Yeah. He, uh, it's, 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 a it's a family. It's, it's, it's a man and, and, and a woman and they have a baby. They, they, they have a little girl. And in order to save money on the rent, they have their two friends living with them. And their two friends were actually previously married to each other. So, so, so a divorced couple is also living with them. And, uh, it, it, uh, the preschool or, or, or the daycare is in, involved in some episodes. And it, it's, it's crazy if, if you enjoyed the wackiness of regular mm-hmm. show, you will definitely enjoy this, but it, it, it was a lot of fun. So as it mm-hmm. turns out, I guess it was announced almost immediately after the regular show concluded oh. in 2017, and it was going to be part of a new adult-oriented cartoon block on TBS, and that block fell through because the cornerstone of it was a cartoon called The Cops, created by Louis C.K. Oh, So after yeah. he got Me Too'd, they blew yeah. the whole thing up, and so this series had no home. And then I guess it was picked up by HBO Max. So, uh, and it does when 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 it wraps up as as the episodes end, and and you go through the credits and and the the studios. It, there is there is a big old Cartoon Network banner at the end. So it was it, it is part of that family. And and before you said TBS, I thought maybe it was going to be something on adult swim or maybe, and I thought maybe it was, and it's mm-hmm. just, and now it's in like syndication on, or because Rick and Morty is on there also. So, I mean, I know that they have cartoons for adults on, on HBO max, but I did not know that it was just that it was premiering here. And, and so it was, but yeah, it was, it was a nice surprise. It was great to see. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll watch more episodes this weekend. Nice. Yeah. I got, the last cartoon I started watching just was freaking horrible. And I, Which? I F is for family. Don't know it. It's on Netflix. It's it's bad. And and I was all stoked for it because Laura Dern does one of the voices and okay. it's it's just terrible. I lasted uh-huh. I lasted two episodes and I'm like, why am I watching this trash? Mm-hmm. But that's mm-hmm. different from regular show and close enough. Like that's those are yeah. sure things. 
Yes. 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 I have to tell you, it's 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 a little frustrating the cartoon scene these days because uh, I'm not a Puritan, and I mean my kids have watched most of these cartoons, American Dad, Family Guy, and the like. But uh, you know, I haven't really watched Rick and Morty, even though it's and I know it's not a kids' cartoon. I understand that, right? Yeah. But we had our good friends over, as you know, last week, which is why I wasn't he, uh, on the air. And they, uh, my my youngest, as you know, is Holden, and he's eleven. But but their youngest is uh, seven, and still very innocent. And I I went downstairs to the TV room, and all the kids were watching Rick and Morty. Oh. And literally, as I'm walking in the room, they're oh, making a Pornhub joke. Yes. And oh. I'm like, oh, no. Like, oh, no. And, you know, I had to turn it off and what have you. But but the thing is, is, is I don't know there's anything to be done. It's ultimately on me as a parent to, to know what my kids are watching. But, but it is a little frustrating that it seems like every cartoon that goes uh, – parabolically popular now is just like over the top inappropriate for kids. Like it's not even cause, cause again, like regular show and adventure time and gumball, those are, are they have adult uh, ideas sometimes or references, but they're, they're totally fine for anything but the youngest of kids. I mean, there's not profanity, there's not sex, um, you know, but, but then it's like, do we have to go from that to essentially X rated with these? I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> Like Family well, Guy is too, Family though, Guy I mean, is freaking raw, dude. I mean, yeah, it, it, it is, is like it is. super raw, and and then apparently Rick and Morty is too. I didn't realize that Rick and Morty I, is because it, it, the language is the language can be rough. It's mm-hmm. it's cause, I mean they, they they call each other dicks and it, but it's um, but even that. See, I guess that's different than I don't know. I mean, I have ranted about our society's puritanical views on sex, but I I, I still think. You know, let a brother know that there's going to be some Pornhub references in a cartoon. I mean, before you, I mean, I, I like, you know, what little kid's going to hear that and be like, well, what's that? And then go on, the, you know, and then go on the internet and discover it's, it. I mean, I mean like, it's, there's, I, I'm surprised, I'm actually surprised that the, it, I don't, because it, it, it's an adult swim, show. It, it's not even on like before. 10 o'clock well, but it's all it's, streaming now though. right no that's what i'm saying that's right. the problem right like yes i agree yeah. in the old days we wouldn't have been able to watch this because our we your parents would know what you're watching or you'd be like can i watch cartoon at 10 o'clock at night your parents would be like well, what's but at least i mean the streaming services do you know they have the parental locks and, i know and, you're right no I, i'm saying still, ultimately it's on us i'm not saying it's not on us but but, but i just but, i didn't realize rick and morty was that level of adult i, I thought it was Adult in its concepts, and that in it it, it 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 suffered no fools. It wasn't a cartoon dumbed down to just entertain young young people. But I I didn't realize it was just straight like American Dad level uh, uh, adult. My bad. Lascivious. Oops. <laughs> Lascivious. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you editing shit while we talk? Yeah, I thought I thought I was on a, a mute. Sorry. <laughs> wow, that's beautiful. No, I was listening. Lascivious. And then you. <laughs> Sorry. Oh shit! Oh my goodness! I had to Google the spelling, and wow. there's the little and, and you speaker, and I decided to hit. I wanted to hear the man say it or the woman say it, and I was an mute. I'm sorry. My bad. Carry on. Yeah. Um, and and not a cartoon, but but bringing it back to Netflix. I did. Um, I tend to when when I'm cleaning up the kitchen, when I tend to 
put on shorter things. Although I did finally, I, I don't know how the hell I kept putting it off and almost forgot about it, but I finally finished, um, I finally started and finished Stranger Things 3. So, so, so that wrapped up. Um, but following that, I started watching um, Street Food Asia. Yeah, it's the best. It is and and but those stories can be so goddamn heartbreaking. I mean, they end happily. Sure. But Another lot, but, reason but, why we need to get get take our Easter eight over head over to the yeah to, to Asia, y'all. But it, I mean, I had I had my favorites of of the episodes, but I I I mean the food is just looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, you can't and, watch and, it even if I've already eaten. I watch it and I'm just like I got to get something in my in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Throw something in your gullet. Yeah. I I think uh, it's my current mindset. I think it's the best thing on Netflix right now. Wow, really? Yeah, it's very See, good. So strange to me in the sense that I love the I love the cooking shows. Don't like the go visit other other restaurant shows, like diners, drive ins, and dives. Don't like it. I do. Street but, food. Don't like it. But yeah. right, like, but having th- the best chefs cooking, love it. But this is about the perils and the pitfalls yeah. of these individuals on the road to become these well, yeah. great oh, chefs. So it's like a reality show about them trying to make it. Basically with that. No, 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 no. They've already made it. They've already made it. They, they, oh, okay. Basically you're getting your, your, um, it's, it's Shanghai or it's Thailand or it's Bangkok or, and, and so for a half hour, you're, you're, you're having someone talk about this one particular food stall, this one particular seller or, or hawker. And they basically tell their story from almost from birth to where they are now. And, and, other people you'll have um you'll have the foodies or or the 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 reviewers they'll, they'll talk about like a particular person and how this is the best person who makes coconut rice or who makes broke and and it's like and you know they started out with like nothing but a burner and and yeah. and some, some some snails and now it's like the, it's the only place you could get like the best shrimp and clean and 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 so they've they've made it so you're not you're not on their journey, but but hearing how they got there is 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 a little heartbreaking at times. But it's it's uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, nobody, it's like nobody's... get zero times ten, right? It, it's yeah. so so almost like if Anthony Bourdain showed up and 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 talked to the guy, and the guy just told his story. It's 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 Kinda. very similar yeah. to that, and, yeah, yeah. and and but then they show all the dishes that uh, that 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 you can get from from that cart or from the other sellers and it's when, when they show the plating at the end with the different recipes it's it's uh it's a sight the one guy who who makes the the three-day three-night goat soup who's got to like cook it in his fucking basement and his lungs got to wear a gas mask to get in there yeah and, it's nuts and, and his kids lungs are practically shot because yeah. they were born and grew up like inhaling these fumes and it's like he's and it, it's it, nuts it's, it is it is the, the what they the links they go through to bring people to because for a lot of them, I mean, it's not even like that. That's it. Like that's everything they own is in this, not even a restaurant is in this little four by four spot that they have against the wall where they cook. And, and, and so, you know, they get home like no running water, no kitchen, no bathroom, but I mean, but, but, but they're going to cook for people and people will line up to get their food. And, and it's just, it's and there's one guy who was talking about he 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 figured when all he wanted in his life was uh, a family, a nice house, and and uh, and he's gonna have a great restaurant, and he had like uh, eleven million yen, and he was all set, 
and, and he was on the road to, to to put down payment down on his restaurant and his father died and and the because of how you care for um your parents your elders after they pass uh the funeral and the headstone were going to cost seven million so that was going to leave him with four and there was no way in hell he was going to be able to get a restaurant so he did end up getting a stall and and basically he's looking at uh, uh, on what he's accomplished in his life and now basically the restaurant is his home the uh his his staff are his children and his customers are are his family so he he's looking at it as you know i i still got what i wanted it just isn't what i envisioned when i started but he's he's doing the best at at how he can with, with what he's got it's it's but yeah all, all the stories are fantastic i envision you talking about some damn comics right now <laughs> there is one um that uh it 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 falls along the um like the power pack one shot i talked about last week with the uh, marvel's 80 years where they get um get creators from a while back uh to work on characters or in settings uh from way back when they were working on them, and this this caught my eye because it's an Avengers story. It's Avenger, the Avengers Loki Unleashed, and it caught my eye for two things. One, because of the way the logo looks for the Avengers, but right above that logo is one name in particular, which is I, I, I associate with this logo, and that's it's written by Roger Stern, and it is it's that it, it's that era of the Avengers with that whole Brotherhood of Evil storyline and, and the mansion was attacked. And basically this, this particular one shot takes place uh, right after the events of uh, Avengers number 277. So it's, it's right during that John Bushima, uh, Tom Palmer drawn storyline. Um, but in this particular instance, Roger Stern is your writer. Ron Lim is your artist and, uh, and your lineup for the Avengers is uh, Thor with a beard Captain Marvel, as she was at the time, now she's Photon. Uh, Captain America, Wasp, and Iron Man in his Silver Centurion um, armor, and uh, and Doctor Strange is here because it's just um, because of the story that that is happening. Um, he's uh, he's roped in to the um, to the adventure, but Loki is is. Uh, is all huffing and puffing. Um, he's uh, he's hanging out with Lorelai, and basically she says something that pisses him off. So it's it's be gone, wench. And then Loki's wife, um, Sigan, shows up, and and she um, she'll do anything he wants. Um, I love you, and 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 uh, he's like, okay, well, fine. Then if you can. Help me, so be it. So he um, he tells her that he uh, he's he's he wants to he's on his way to to the distant world of Yan, and and that's that's what he wants. That that's the object of of his desire. And um, we then cut to the rubble the uh, of, of Avengers Mansion. And it's it's after Mr. Hyde and the Wrecking Crew uh, did a number on the place. Tony Stark is is walking through, talking to Cap, um, and 
this is also the era of Avengers where you really don't, where, where, where the noobs don't know the rookies don't know the secret identities of the uh, rest of the team. So Iron Man shows up and he's talking about Tony Stark as if they're not the same person. Captain Marvel's just like, wow, you know, they used to, the way they pull for each other and, and, and talk about each other. It, it's so it's, what I liked about this particular one shot was the fact that it did transport me back to when, just like the power pack one did where I just, I, I remember buying these issues. I, I had a nice run of, of, of Stern's Avengers. And, and um, it was one of the books that I bought every month. I, I liked John Bushima's Hercules. I, I like that, 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 that lineup and there's just something about the art that was fantastic so so you have um uh when sigan shows up and 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 implores thor and company for help um dr strange gets involved because cisneg is the um is the uh he's he's on yan and yan is the nexus of mystic forces and um and the home to a small technocratic society of scientists. So, um, Cisneg is there because he wants to do bad things, or in his mind, good things. He he wants to be in control of some things. Loki, of course, wants to. So so they they think they're going to um, team up or work together, but uh, neither one trusts the other. When uh, the Avengers show up on the planet. They they work together. It, it it was a very it reads easy. It just it, it and it, it was comfortable. It just you know I sunk right back into um, as if I was you know fifteen years old reading the uh, the Avengers again. And and uh, this this wasn't one of those stories where it almost felt like an annual. It, and that's exactly what what it felt like. It 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 would have been an annual issue any other time. Um, there's, uh, th- there wasn't a lot of drama or conflict within the team. Nobody was, was stressing or not thinking they were good enough. It, I mean, Stern knows these characters. It, it's, um, had absolutely no problem with, uh, with limbs are at all. So he wasn't trying to troll like John Bashima. It's, it's definitely a, a Ron Lim drawn story. It reminds me of the silver surfer. It reminds me of, um, infinity crusade. And it's, um, it, it it even the living tribunal shows up. It's it it's weird. It goes back to um, when when the tribunal shows up and they talk about uh, dealing with Cisneg on their own. Uh, there's a editor's note that lets you know that um, what they're referencing is from Strange Tales number one fifty eight. So I mean they this was one of those things where it weren't. They, there was actual thought involved in this story. This didn't feel like an inventory story where like this will go across an issue of Marvel fanfare and, and it doesn't tie into anything else going on in the Marvel universe. It, it, it very easily slides into um, Stern's run on the Avengers. It's uh, and, and Stern knows because he knows the characters and he knows Marvel's history in that regard, he, he knows exactly where um, where to pull characters from or, or reference uh, other stories that they may be involved in. I, I this was of I haven't 
I haven't read every single one of uh, Marvel's one shots from last year, but uh, of of the few that I've read so far, this this is is one of my favorites. And at the end of the issue, um, Loki, because of the conversation he heard between the Avengers and the Living Tribunal and and Doctor Strange, um, he uh, he's thinking to himself, he doesn't know what's more galling: the idea that I am responsible for the existence of the Avengers or that I might owe them for my own continued existence because they Thor, of course, and everybody pleaded that uh, Loki be spared. But um, now he needs to be even more wary, ever more artful in planning um, my future scheme. So it, it, it's, there's an ending, um, but it's, uh, and whether or not the reader winks along with, with the author as far as uh, what's implied or what we know and what Loki doesn't know yet. It, it, it was just, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I thought it was a, um, and, and the cover by, uh, by Patrick Zercher is uh, kind of reminiscent to, to Bushima a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, again, Stern wrote it. I didn't know what to expect, but I should have, but yeah, I had, um, like I said, I had a lot of fun with it. It was, it, it was a good time. If, if, um, if Marvel wants to bring creators out, um, let them have fun with characters in settings that uh, that they're known for uh, and have fun with, then um, then I'm all for it. If it doesn't it doesn't need to be bogged down or tied into or or uh, whatever current event or springboard into something else, or hey, if you like this story then make sure, you know, you follow along here. Did, did, did There was no to be continued letting me know that, you know, I can go back and, and read a bunch of epic collections or, or start looking for Marvel Masterworks. It's just, this is this is the story. Everything you need is right here. These are the characters you know. Um, and uh, I had fun with it and, and fun with it I had. So that, uh, like I said, it was a good time. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Neat. I'm looking at the cover. It certainly looks like a vintage book. So, yeah. Uh, base is covered. Yeah. Good stuff. Where's Pinhead? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, Lord. that's absurd on every level. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh. Who loves you? I don't know. Oh, right? come on. Give me a <laughs> give me a break. Well, speaking of Marvel, ooh, what I, you got? I, I I did the bullet so y'all didn't have to. Oh, you read Empire. I read Empire number one. So oh, I, yeah, yeah. I read what was it a zero issue going into it? There are a couple of zero issues. But yeah, yeah, I'm like I yeah, read none of that. Not for me. But go ahead, I tell read, me about it. I read none of the pregame stuff. Um, Maybe to my dismay, I, or, or maybe to my—I don't know if that was the the right move or not. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Empire was to be Marvel's big event of the first half of the year, the kind of their summer blockbuster. I guess technically still going to be, but certainly with everything that's gone on with COVID and the shutdown, it's fair to say a lot of the momentum for event comics in this one in particular are uh, by the wayside. Um, Maybe it'll serve it well. Maybe it'll just stand on its own as a story and and uh, and age better as a result. Who knows? But uh, but listen, you know, I, I, 
I, I have said on like three or four consecutive um, previews videos for our patrons that my rule with events is very simple now. I will read the main event and buy that, but I, I will not read any uh, miniseries that are spinoffs that are just for the event, and I won't read any tie-ins that are in books that I'm not already reading. So I'll read the event, and then any title that I'm also getting regularly and enjoying that also happens to tie in, so be it. And it's up to them to to craft a, a story that's cohesive and entertaining under those parameters or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Empire Number One, uh, it's it's billed on the cover as Avengers Fantastic Four Empire. Um, it's got a beautiful Jim Chung, you know I love the Chung uh, cover uh, with uh, you've got Black Panther, Tony Stark, Ben Grimm, Sue. Uh, you got uh, Johnny. You got uh, Reed. Cap, uh, Captain Marvel, um, Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. The uh, I guess he's not new anymore, but I keep calling him the new Ghost Rider. Um, and uh, and then Hulkling. Uh, now some of you are like Hulkling, like which one of these doesn't belong? Interestingly enough, um, <laughs> Hulkling is the most important character of that bunch for this because he is now uh, the supreme commander yeah. of a unified Kree Skrull Empire. This was this was um, the stage was sort of set in um, that that book that came out on the first of the year, not yeah. Legacy Uprising, that, that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uprising, so that yeah. that was all that was all. Le- the, the, they were planting the seeds that were leading you to this. Yeah, I'm not like I I didn't I didn't read Uprising. I'm not mad at this at all though because comics are supposed to be silly and. For those that that aren't well versed in Marvel or maybe don't remember, Hulkling is one of the Young Avengers. Um, so if he's fifteen years old as a character, not he's not fifteen years old in the comic. I'm saying he the character was created fifteen years ago in the Young Avengers. Um, at the time, he was a blonde haired Hulk. He looked like the Hulk with blonde hair, and we came to to learn over the course of the two Young Avengers miniseries that he was actually um, a product of a Cree skull, a Cree and a scroll relationship. So he, uh, he took on the form of, of the Hulk Ling just more because it suited him, not because that was his baseline form. Um, He's also, um, well, now I guess he's omnisexual in, in the original young Avengers. He was part of a, of a, of a, um, a gay couple. Um, It's my understanding. I think now that he, he's kind of omnisexual, um, but in, in, in any in any event, at some point, uh, as Dap said, I think it was formalized in that uprising issue, his arc evolves because we knew we've known from the beginning that he was actually the son of uh, of Captain Marvel, the OG Captain Marvel Marvel is his dad. Uh, and his mom was a uh, a princess, uh, a, a scroll princess. Um, actually, she was uh, introduced. She predates Captain Marvel. Apparently, her first appearance was in Fantastic Four number 37 by Jack and Stan. Um, but either way, uh, they have a child, presumably during the Kree Scroll uh, War, the original Avengers event, and uh, that is the Hulkling. And he, he eventually learns his history. And there were some events where effectively the Kree and the Scroll were warring. And for some reason that I'm not clear of because I didn't read any of it, um, He's reluctant, but by by becoming by by taking on his the name Doric the seventh or the eighth rather 
he becomes emperor and unifies the Korean scroll because he's the one being who they would all be willing to follow because of his lineage. Um, so that, I guess, all happens before this, and we're set up just to understand that he is the reluctant supreme leader of the Kree scroll, and they are currently racing amidst a bunch of warships to the Earth. Uh, and they, um, during their journey, they meet up with the Fantastic Four uh, in its current incarnation. So it's 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 uh, the FF and 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 uh, and the two kids, and they kind of hook up with uh, with the crew and are a little taken aback because they they too aren't quite aware of what's been going on, why he is uh, in the position he is in, and also um, he's got. Uh, uh, the Super Scroll Clerk as his right hand man, his conciliary, and obviously that puts the FF a little bit on their heels. But but they're kind of like chatting it up, trying to figure out what the deal is, and uh, and and then at the same time, the Avengers uh, are on the moon in Adelon, uh, where I guess uh, Adelon has now been repopulated by the Kotati, who you may remember are the plant beings from uh, from from back in the day. And the Kotati were nearly wiped out in another one of these wars and uh, are convalescing in the blue area of the moon, uh, trying to rebuild their species. Uh, and they're led by the swordsman, the OG Avenger, who you all may remember uh, was re- reincarnated as a Kotati a long, long time ago in the comics. Uh, and his son, uh, Koi who is supposed to be the celestial messiah. So you kind of, they're kind of like laying out the chess pieces. Um, the Avengers are siding with the Kotati and the Kotati are saying, Hey, the Kree and the scroll are heading here right now to wipe us out. And you're not clear why you're like, well, that, you know, other than that, they guess have bad blood from the past. So the Avengers are like, Oh, hells to the nah. We're not going to allow that. You know, y'all are peaceful beings. We're going to, we're going to have your back here. We're going to, we're going to stop this. Meanwhile, the FF are on board the, the main ship of the of the Kree Scroll Empire, and they're kind of like, well, you know, we're going to have your back, kind of setting up for an Avengers versus Fantastic Four vibe. But um, but that all kind of goes to the wayside by the end of the first issue, in the sense that we we discover that the Kotati are uh, not the benevolent species that we believe them to be, and uh, I, I guess from here it's going to be the Kree and the Scroll and the Avengers and the FF versus the Kotati. And all I got to say is they better make the Kotati pretty goddamn powerful because it's after reading Marvel comics for 40 years, it's pretty hard for me to understand how the Kree and the scroll and the Avengers and the FF all working together couldn't defeat anything pretty quickly. So, so I'm very curious to see what they do with the Kotati. Um, uh, Lottie Dottie, we likes the Kotati. Uh, but, uh, but the, the book so looks childish. great. You are Valerio, so... Valerio, Valerio, Valerio is the artist. <laughs> Um, many of you know him from Guardians of the Galaxy and the like, so he's definitely got history with these characters. Uh, I think Al Ewing is a terrific writer, uh, one of Marvel's best, I think, right now. Uh, the story is, I should say, co-written by Al Ewing and Dan Slott, but scripted by Al, thankfully. Um, and, uh, yeah, I listen, as far as events go, I, I dug the first issue. It was action-packed. The characters seemed um, on-brand, if you will. I thought the banter between the FF was was evocative of, of what you'd expect in a good FF comic. And none of the Avengers seemed out of whack. Um, you got T'Challa doing his, uh, you know, big boss man thing. Uh, you've got Tony being snarky asshole. You've got, 
you know, Thor being self-important. There's a, a, a wow moment where Thor throws his hammer um, at the uh, the Kree scroll ship and uh, Hulkling just, just, just stops it in its tracks, uh, which is, I think, cool. Because, again, I think a lot of people are probably like, Hulkling, really? So it, it, I think that helps illustrate that this is this is one powerful mofo worthy of of, of a spot uh, of importance. But uh, yeah, I, I dug it. You know, it was it was a good first issue of an event. I thought it was they did a nice job of summarizing all of the status quo that you needed to know going in. Um, I I was begging for some editor's notes though. I mean, like the uprising thing, like Daph mentioned, I, doesn't mention that anywhere in the book. Okay. So, you know, throw our brother like as seen in Uprising number one available on Marvel Unlimited or something. Um, but, yeah, overall, man, like it, it was fine. I, I I I can't be over the moon over it because it's just the first issue. And as we've known, many, many events go astray. They lose they lose the plot or they don't stick the landing. So we'll have to see how it goes. But uh, but I, I mean, I'm an Avengers mark and I've always dug the the cosmic part of the Marvel Universe. So. Yeah, man, it was it was cool. It was cool. I'm down for it. Like it's a big cosmic battle with lots of chess pieces, and hopefully Al Ewing's got a nice cogent, cohesive plan to pull it off. I'm sure he does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been crushing it with Immortal Hulk, right? So hell yeah. Y'all in on that Immortal She Hulk, or is he writing it? He is. Yeah. Then yes. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a try too. I mean, the She Hulk is like saltpeter to me. As a character, but but I'll give it a try because he's earned that. He's earned he's earned the taste at least. Yeah. Because, is that a miniseries or an ongoing? Uh, I believe it's solicited as an ongoing, but most likely it'll be an arc or two because yeah. that's how comics are these days. Because Immortal ends at fifty. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't been paying much attention to She Hulk as a character, but I guess she's been somewhat uh, bestial a little bit for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like oversized and and more like the dumb Hulk version. Which yeah, not too speak. bright. Yeah, but in this, for some reason, she's holding some kind of weapon. And again, I don't know where she got it, when she got it. She may have even gotten this in Avengers. I'm many issues behind in, in Jason Aaron's Avengers right now. Um, but when she's holding this weapon, uh, it gives her, her like it it centers her and allows her to be Jen and to how to be to be co- to be smart and. And to be able to speak and stuff, so uh, you know, I don't know if that's a transition to her becoming the. I, I don't know how the, what they're going to do with that, but, but, uh, okay. but yeah, listen, you know, events are what they are, right? I mean, right. You're either into it or you're not. Ultimately, what happens doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But you know, I dig the FF, I dig the Avengers. I, I figured why not. Yep, you just don't. You have to, you know, pace yourself. You can't buy everything. Because then if well, you no, do, then the you're key. just... Right. Yeah, that's the key. You can't... It's an abomination what they do with these solicits. Right. And if DC does the same thing. It's 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 really, really ridiculous. Um, uh, and by the way, I don't know if you guys have... I guess we should ask Christina. I, I, I It seems as though I, I published my um, previous video and then we got a lot of feedback that some of the things I speak on in the Marvel section are not available on the DCBS order. Right. But then... I was I saw that one of our one of our faithful community members reached out and they believe the reason for that is that the things that I'm referencing in the Marvel previews catalog that I used in the video uh, are um, some of them are just uh, resolicits and so since 
DCBS and others didn't have to cancel prior orders for Marvel. If you've already ordered it, it's already there. But that's confusing because I'm sure lots of people either didn't order it or forgot or what have you. And so I would think it'd be almost cleaner to have a clean slate uh, and have you kind of opt in again. So I, I, I haven't placed my order yet. I don't know if you guys have, but but apparently there is some confusion with what's listed on the DCBS site with Marvel this month and what Marvel is saying is available. Yes, I heard that. But you haven't yourself I haven't, no, I haven't you don't paid. buy any you don't you no. buy marvel anymore so yeah just you notice, but. yeah no just the hulk book okay yeah well that's easy for you because <laughs> <laughs> it's good yeah uh i have well i have something that could only have been possible uh thanks to the ridiculous generosity of our good friend brian n Ah, yeah, because he was talking about it during his little vacation staycation. Yep, yep, yep. Um, it mm-hmm. is written and illustrated by Kentaro Miura. It's uh, published by Dark Horse. Of course, it is the Berserk Deluxe Edition, Volume One. Massive tome, faux leather cover, ribbon bookmark, uh, foil stamped, debossed cover. It's like no expense spared, which makes me scratch my head, and I'll tell you why at the end. Um, back in the day, I read the first two OG Berserk Tankabon as they were coming out. And I just, I kind of wandered away from it. And now, having read the first three, I know why I wandered away. And I'll be more specific at the end. The The focal point of this story is a man named Guts. <laughs> you know, you, you, if you're in a fantasy-based dark disturbing uh realm and your name is guts <laughs> you you got my attention he's he's also known as the black swordsman he's a surly son of a bitch uh and it made me re- his his origin of sorts comes at the end of this volume so it's a massive massive story and then one chapter of his origin at the end um he kind of reminded me of Kurt Busick's Conan because Guts was born on the battlefield. And his mother, who was the casualty of war, she and her people are all strung up in a tree. They're dead. And the, the perpetrators have strung them from the branches of the tree. And at the time of her demise, she was pregnant. <laughs> so... Guts, kind of like Mick Jones, you know, wasn't born so much as he fell out. He pl- he plopped out of his mother's birth canal, snapped the umbilical cord, and he 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 flopped down in a puddle of blood after birth and excrement. So, very noble origin story. Uh, so along comes this mercenary Gambino. I don't know if he's childish, but his name's Gambino, and and his his men, uh, one of which is actually a woman. His his woman and her name is Sis, and she had recently miscarried, lost her baby, and she sees this this little thing in this puddle of disgusting germ filled crap, and she goes over to him, she's like, "Oh, it's a baby, right?" And, and Gambino's like, "That kid's dead. Just you know, put it back." And they uh, guts flops into the back into the the puddle, but as they're leaving. He gives out a cry. <gasps> so Sis raises guts 
for a couple years until she dies of a plague. It's a feel-good book. And that's where Gambino reluctantly takes over. Um, Guts knows nothing but war and bloodshed. Uh, He's seen by the superstitious mercenaries as a really, really bad omen because of the situation under which he was found, right? They found him amidst carrion, and that doesn't bode well. But, But they were right. Because everywhere guts goes, demons tend to follow. So guts, and he's fully grown when the story starts. Um, he's marked. He's he has a, a a brand on his neck. If you look at the front cover of this volume, that symbol that's on the cover of all of these volumes, beautifully foil and and debossed, that's on his neck. It's called the brand of sacrifice. And it's a crucial element in this ceremony called the Invocation of Doom. Those that have the brand are sacrificed as payment so somebody else can shed their humanity and ascend, or descend in this case, to become an apostle of the God Hand. Now the God Hand are demi-demons from another dimension. And they're working behind the scenes to nudge human history to the dark side Putin's probably a member but anyway those that have the brand have to be very special to those seeking to rise to the God hand you can't sacrifice your cousin Timmy who you only see on holidays right it's got to be someone who matters a child a loved you know your mate which kind of raises questions Uh, to whom did guts matter and why is he still among the living If, if you're slated to be a sacrifice hence the brand why is he still breathing like there are clues here but they're not you don't get the conclusion which is awesome right because this series runs 40 volumes which will translate into what 13 massive hardcover collections and it's not done yet Mira is still still making it so the majority of the volume chronicles this massive battle between guts and somebody called the count and he's a man who has turned to the dark side of the demons after, and this is the cover story, after heretics sacrificed his wife in a pagan ritual. It killed her. So now he's alone with his daughter and he hates, hates heretics. So he's he's got a mad on for him. And every day in the square of this um, community over which he presides, there's a beheading. Eh, bring in the next heretic, chunk. Head's dead, you know? And seemingly he's doing all this to avenge the death of his wife. Problem is, the Count's no longer human. He found this this egg-shaped artifact thing, and it has twisted and shifted facial features all over it. It's called the Behelet. And I'm not going to say anything more about what it is or what it does. Um, And once he got that, everything went south. So instead of merely having the heretics killed... He began to torture them, and then he started violating them, and he started eating them, right? It's, it's think dark fantasy Wilson Fisk. The guy's huge, and he's disgusting. Um, so Guts is, is aided in his battle by a couple beings along the way. Not many, because he doesn't make friends very easily. He, he's a, a mean bastard. Um, he's brutal in both word and deed. Uh, will not hesitate to either throw um, unpleasantries at you or a fist at you. Like, he's not a nice guy, right? 
Uh, but along the way, there's this doctor named Vargas who used to be in the Count's, um, among the, the Count's uh, advisors. He's a doctor or something. And, and the Count defiled Vargas's wife and his two sons in front of him, slowly. And he killed them and he ate them. And then he mutilated Vargas and left him for dead. And so you got this little misshapen man who's crucial to Guts's plans, loath as he is to admit it. Guts has shitty bedside manner. Um, so for people to help him, they got to really want to be on the side of the light. You know, he, you don't go out of your way for Guts unless you really have to because he's just, he's, he's, I don't want to say anti hero because that's the typical phraseology people throw around but he's he's not a very upstanding young young man right guts is also helped by an elf now when you think elf right you're thinking legolas right the blonde hair and the the somewhat androgynous right but but more you know you're thinking the traditional depiction of an elf um this tiny winged elf named Puck looks nothing like uh, what you immediately, your mind immediately conjures elf, right? I love this character because it's identified as, as a male. Peep characters will call him little fella or, you know, uh, but it, it, it's, it's, it, Miura straddles the line of androgyny with this thing. The Puck is completely nude for the entirety of the book. And, Puck has no genitalia. There's nothing between the legs. There's no nipples. Clean, right? And its gender seems to shift from moment to moment. One panel, it looks like what one would come to discern as a, a, a fetching young lady. And the next panel, it looks like a young man. Like, you don't know. Even though they call him fella, this, this, the, there's a fluid gender thing going on with Puck that I find awesome. I, I like not knowing. I also like the way that Miura draws this character. I'll be honest, right? But um, Puck is an empath, which is really bad because they absorb emotions, right? And being in proximity to Guts is a painful ex experience, to say the least, right? He's always pissed off, and he's, he's, he, he goes down the black road all the time. Um, Puck is also a healer and has kind of enabled Guts to do what he does. Uh, Guts would not be successful on a couple of occasions had Puck not healed him. There, there's a, a, a sequence in the, in the final battle where Guts' hand, his sword hand, is all broken. And, and Guts' sword is massive. It's it's stupid big. Like, no one would be able to lift this sword. You are all about the big swords. It's gigantic, right? So his hand is all bu busted up, right? And what does he do? He puts the sword in his mouth and runs at his enemy. There's no... Like, physics be damned. This That's the kind of book this is. We don't care that this could never, ever happen in a million years. It looks damn cool. This This bloody, beaten guy with a giant sword handle in his mouth... Just running at an enemy to cleave off of part of them. Um, I, I'm not going to say much more because the volume is wall-to-wall -wall brutality. It's just constant evisceration, bloodshed, lost limbs, men cut in half. The, the Count's body 
in demon form, it, it shifts and it undulates and he, he grows extra body parts at will. Like there's eyes on the ends of stalks making him look like this rampaging slug. He's got multiple mouths and, and eyes. He's disgusting. And, and the more Guts hacks away at him with this impossibly long sword, the, the more he grows larger. Like it's ridiculous. It, it's a fight that he can't seemingly win, but obviously he does, right? Um, Guts was uh, mutilated at some point in the past. He lost part of his arm. He's got this metal arm thing that he can attach various weapons to it. He's got a, a crank, hand-cranked Gatling crossbow. He loads arrows into this giant magazine, and he turns the crank, and he, he just flits arrows at like a rapid pace. The, the goons of the Count don't last very long because they just got arrows sticking out of their eyes, in their necks, like in their crotches. They're dead, right? Um then, if he wants to, he can flip his hand back, and the arm becomes a cannon. What? <laughs> the the giant friggin' arm cannon! Boom! It blows people's heads like right off. This I, I can't. I had so much fun with this. Right? It's a bloodbath of epic proportions. Like, have either of you played Doom Eternal yet? No. There's uh, no. Yeah, not my type of game, but no. All right, whatever. There's something in Doom. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't like the that's not like, that's kind of shooting games. Like. No, the, the the glory kills in Doom Eternal. If you get the enemy to a point where they're blinking, you can go in and do a glory kill, which is an up close and personal. You're basically teabagging them, right? You've already beat them, and this is like the 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 final desecration of them. You, you can pull out. Um, well, they're just animations. So some of them, you pull out the creature's leg and you stick it in its eye. That's guts. He, he just doesn't want to kill his enemies. He wants to make it hurt. He wants to bring the pain. Um, Miura could have called this series fucking metal. Cause it's, it's metal, right? That thing going on in DC that I like is nowhere near as metal as this book. Right? But I'll get to the mm-hmm. original pitch that in hindsight, the reason why I abandoned this series back in the day is that I didn't make it to Volume 3. Volume 3 is the reveal of the God Hand. And it showcases that Mira is a master of character design. There are times within the, the three volumes that his figure work kind of takes on Liefeldian proportions. Legs are a little too long here and there. But, you know, it's not that, it's not a thing with me. I don't really care. And he doesn't do it very often and he never does it with Puck. But when you see the God Hand for the first time, if you are not completely captivated, completely sucked in to this dark realm for this and subsequent volumes, I got absolutely nothing for you. I do not know how anybody can look at this artwork the the illustration going on here and not just be like i want all of this it's it's just it's dark and disturbing but it's breathtaking on the other hand on on, on the flip side but i i, ha- I just have a tiny tiny little gripe mm. these books are 50 bucks right no expense was spared in the production mm-hmm. of these books like i said full leather cover great paper great printing ribbon bookmark um, foil stamping, debossed parts of the, the, on the spine, there's debossed. So they rolled out the red carpet for this series, but they did not reprint the color pages from the Tankabon. 
in color in these Those books. Those motherfuckers. What? I don't get it. Like, you know how typically manga goes. The first chapter of each volume usually has maybe two or three pages of color just to grab the reader's attention. And that's that way they were originally serialized. And that's the, the way they appeared in the cheap-ass Tankabon that everybody bought. Why, if you're going to charge $50 for a book, would you not reprint those pages in color as they were originally published? I don't understand it. It's not a major transgression with me because I think the black and white looks cool. But I know that these were published in color before. So why not here? I don't get it. Hashtag canceled. No, never. I would never have been. No, I'm not doing it again because they're, this series is amazing. It it speaks to me on the same level as Gantz. It's just, it's the tonic I need right now. Just mm-hmm. pedal to the metal freewheeling massacre. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, and there's just, there's a great story here. I want to find out why and who. I have an idea, as does Brian, but I want to know. So I'm going to, and, and then there's Puck. I want to know. Love it. So I yeah. got it. I got I mean, it. It sounds dope. It's it, it's just another one of those things in the pile of like when will I'm gonna when am I gonna have time to actually sit down and read something like that? It's far wordier than the average manga too. There's a lot of dialogue mm. in it. Yeah. Well, more dialogue than usual. Let's just say. Yeah. Okay. But it, I. It's just phenomenal. It, mm-hmm. it 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 strikes above the neck and below the belt. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Massive skeleton armies being just cut apart in the fog. Get out of here. I need to read this. Forget about it. Yeah. So there we go. I think we covered a lot of bases. We did. Oh, show. We got more to come, right? Of course. There's always more to come. No, I mean, we actually have more to come. Oh, we do. Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, I guess Jason's pulling the curtain down on this episode, but stay tuned after we do our Your Travels because we have an interview with our buddy, Tom Kelly, who has a Kickstarter. Yep. Foot Fist Frankenstein. He's going to tell you all about it. But remember, if you want to get everything we talked about here at a fraction of the cover price, where does one go? Hmm. Let me check my map. Oh, there it is. There Discount it is. comic book service. DCPService.com. Get your books, get them fast, get them delivered right to your door. Write this down. Hill House. Basket Full of Heads. Dollhouse Family. Low Low Woods. Twelve forty nine apiece. DC Black Label. The Question. The Deaths of Vic Sage. It's a hardcover. Fourteen ninety nine. Shut up. And Hard Time. The Complete Series. Thirty nine ninety nine cover. Uh-uh. $19.99 for you. That's 50% off. DCBService.com. I got another hardcover right here that I'm not going to talk about very much other, because I want to talk about it next time and I don't want to give it a, a piss take. It is from Fanographics. It is a team-up a collaboration by Niv Bavarsky and Michael Olvio. It's called Old Growth. It's part of the Fanographics FU imprint. Full color, hardcover, again, foil stamping on the cover and the spine and the back cover. Buyer beware, it's not cheap. Mm. It's 35 bucks for maybe, let me see if the pages are numbered, for maybe 150 pages. But do not let that dissuade you. 
because it is a psychedelic vision unparalleled. I loved it. Um, it's about plant creatures of a sort um, and not a worm. And uh, I'll tell you about it next time. But uh, take a just do a little Google search for Old Growth, Niv Bavarsky and Michael Olvio. Look at the art and you'll be like, hot damn, I need to have this because it's awesome. Get it at a discount though, because thirty-five bucks is a little steep for it. Yeah. Okay. I bought it because it was massively discounted at DCBService.com. That's why I got it. That is an awesome reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your travels, um, I'll say that for next week. Uh, there are. One or two books that as soon as I come home from the shop uh, with them in hand, I need to read them, even if that means um, reading it before Vince and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 106 uh, is one of those books. And I am not going to... Go into it uh, in in great detail. It is uh, still written, a story, and uh, is by Sophie Campbell. Script by Rhonda Patterson and art by Nelson Daniel. Nelson's work is similar to Sophie's. Um, it's not uh, not exactly. Like doesn't have the the softness and um, and the curves that uh, that Sophie employs, but it it still uh, it absolutely works. It everything still um, it's a new arc. There's there's a uh, the slithery is is involved uh, in this particular issue, uh, but um, but life is still going on post um postmaster splinter and and uh and continuing the story that uh, that Sophie started with uh, with 101 but it it's um it's it's another great chapter uh in this tale and I um I'm looking forward to 107 cuz it's um there's a bit of a cliffhanger, but I, uh, I, I I really really liked it. There is one thing that that struck me odd, and it's and and it, it's it happens in any any story um, where uh, Lita is is talking about um, talking about the slithery, and and Lita tells the story, and. And 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 um, Leo's like, uh, I'm I'm sorry, but that sounds like a, a tall tale, like a boogeyman or a monster under the bed. And I'm like, bro, you're a mutant turtle. Like, how do you not take just give this kid? I mean, yeah, okay, fine, it's a little kid and and and, and it's telling a story, but don't you can't you're 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 in a walled city with a bunch of the mutants. Like, are you really going to just outright say? Yeah, no, that 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 that's a made of bullshit. Like, and but every, every in order to 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 progress the story and 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 get to a certain point, 
it, it same thing happens in Stranger Things. Like people go through things, and it's like you've just been through something, and you survived, and you know what you witnessed. But but this is where you're going to draw the line and say, yeah, no, I don't think that 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 really could happen. It's like, dude, seriously, I just so that 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 was a little shocking, but still. Um, the way Lita was behaving, I, I can I can maybe see um, Leo trying to to downplay it, um, but it also his reaction and and um, and what goes on, what happens later in the issue. Um, there's it, it, there's a teachable moment. There, there's some growth there, so it, it 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 serves the purpose, but it's still just one of those things where it's just like I don't I, I don't see why you would think that that is a thing that, that that couldn't happen but okay bro you do you but yeah teenage Mutant Ninja turtles i'm uh it, it just it, you've heard vince talk about it and and uh he ain't lied so yeah um as soon as you get this issue in, in your box you make it to the shop um read it because you will you will enjoy it mm-hmm. before jason takes over uh mm-hmm. i'm going back through the first year of the idw okay. books you can't undersell Sophie's importance to this series. Just how good, uh, how solid her work is. Because we talked about 105 with the scene with Raphael and Alaplex, right? Mm-hmm. That was hinted at in the very first... Well, remember, you know how they did the, the micro-series in homage to what Mirage did. There was a a, a one issue book for all of the turtles, the Raphael, right? In yep. the in the original IDW Raphael one shot, it's Alaplex and Raphael, and there's it's there. Like she took it from the very first year. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, amazing. She's I I think she's astounding what she's doing with this book. She's done her homework. She writes great stories. Her illustration is amazing and now i mean now that she's still at the helm of the story and somebody else has the art so what i mean i can't wait i i simply devour what she does yeah yep i expect to see her on some ballots this year it's oh yeah 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 it's coming good Good. um one thing uh before i do my travels i forgot because it wasn't on uh the show last week but um but it's it's really i mean Listen, it's been a rough year on a lot of levels, and there's been a lot of uh, frustrating news about the comics business. Uh, we've covered some of it, haven't talked about others, but I think we had some incredibly encouraging news this past week that I think we need to at least uh, uh, mention and celebrate because it is for it is cause for celebration, um, and that is the news that Marvel has partnered with Scholastic for a bunch of YA novels. Yes, now. Uh, some of you may be thinking, oh, well, big deal. Uh, DC already has YA novels. Uh, two things. Yes, DC does have a bunch of YA novels that they're putting out, and um, I've talked about a few on the show. They're not really for me, but again, they're not intended to be for me. Um, but this is an entirely different thing. Like, we mentioned sometimes how comics are more than just the direct market, even though that's mainly our focus. And we've talked about Raina Telgemeier, and we've talked about other... Um, YA brands that sell so many copies that they alone are as large as pretty much many comic publishing companies. This is that. Scholastic is the big dog of publishing, period, end of story. Scholastic young adult 
books are like the entirety of the growth market for books for the last decade. Like they are the big dog. Um, in terms of the book market, Scholastic has like 20 plus percent U.S. market share. Like they are to books in general as Marvel is to comp to, to superhero comics. It is massive. Like this partnership is so much bigger than what DC is doing uh, because of Scholastic's reach. Like Scholastic puts out a book like this. It will sell a million copies. Every library will buy it. There will be it will be in bookmobiles everywhere. Like it will be bought by Walmart. It'll be bought by everybody. So this is great news. Any way you slice it, even if these books aren't for you, this is awesome news because, in my opinion, this is in all the time we've done our show, this is the single biggest announcement for actually potentially growing a new group of young readers and keeping them in in superhero comics. This is the biggest shot that's been fired at actually getting young people to read superhero comics and fall in love with them. So it's huge news. And I assume this was going to be the big announcement of San Diego Comic-Con. Like I assume that's why the announcement came out when it did last week, because San Diego Comic-Con is not happening, but, um, but this is absolutely massive and they've already got three of them in the can. Uh, The first three books will uh, be about Miles Morales, uh, Kamala Khan and Shuri. Uh, first will be Miles Morales Shockwaves, written by Justin Reynolds with art by Pablo Leon. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I again, it, it, I'm not saying y'all are going to run out and read them and we're going to rave about them on the show. Uh, they may well not be even something that particularly appeals to us individually, but but in terms of we do spend a lot of time obsessing about the industry for selfish reasons. We want it to continue because we want our our stuff that we like to read to continue to come out. Well, this is the best news we've had in a long, long time on that front. So, like, we don't do the uh, biggest news of the year anymore on the 11 o'clockers. We got rid of that category. But this should be the unanimous choice, at least to date so far, for that, for, for if that was to, uh, to, if we were to bring that category back. So, uh, so two thumbs up on that front. Um, now, totally switching, <laughs> totally switching gears my inner travels from superhero all ages. Um, I, uh, as you all know, I, uh, I occasionally collect a piece of art or two. And um, I have been uh, in communication w- with, with, with David Lapham for some time about a commission. And uh, understandably, he is a busy gentleman. And he, uh, so I've kind of just been letting him take his time, do his thing. And he hit me up this week with a completed uh, picture of the commission, which has been a long time coming. And it is, uh, it is of, uh, of, uh, of Virginia and domino together on a, uh, on a roof. And, um, it's just, it's just fantastic. Everything I could have hoped for. And so that got me hyped to dive back into the warm, probably bloody and muddy waters of stray bullets. <laughs> so I reread this week, the entirety of the original run of stray bullets, uh, 41 issues. So good. Yeah, it is. It's so good. And, and I, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit over the years. I don't feel like we've ever, Unless I'm forgetting, I don't think we've ever given it like it's full on. No, not two. deep. It should be a book of the no. month. Yeah, and came close to winning once, but uh, right. Yeah, yeah. and um, and also full disclosure because I have been in semi regular con uh, uh, email con- conversation with, with with David. I have um, several times invited him to come on the show. He has several times expressed a willingness to come on the show, but like many artists, he's tough to pin down. Like he's always like absolutely and then i'll follow up as i want to do like great like let's like let's set a date and he's kind of 
you know, it's one of those deals. Like he's he never he he seems willing to do it, but it's just hard to kind of like pin him down. But either way, I hope someday to have him on the show. I think we'd all love it and and have a nice long chat with him about his career because I think he is one of those creators that we all do have universal love for and uh, and I think deserves a nice spotlight. Um, but anyway, uh, I read. I don't own the single issues. Um, I own the Uber Alice edition, which <sighs> was. Um, Back actually when our friend Ron Richards was the COO of Image, we all may recall uh, one of the things he did, uh, or at least helped do, I shouldn't say give him all the credit, but I know he was intimately involved in getting David to um, start putting out new uh, uh, Stray Bullets comics through Image. And as part of that, they produced this beautiful omnibus type uh, collection of all of the first, the initial run of 41 issues. Um, For those that aren't aware... uh, Straight Bullets is uh, Lapham's creator-owned work, along with his wife Maria. Uh, it is a it's, a it's essentially a, a crime comic set in the uh, well, set like over two decades, say the seventies to the mid nineties. He began publishing it in ninety five. Um, it's purely creator-owned, so it had a very erratic publishing schedule. But in essence, we got forty one issues of it from nineteen ninety five through two thousand and five. So 11 years and uh, then it went away because of sales. Uh, he was very honest about that. It just wasn't it wasn't a huge commercial success as it, like it should have been. Um, but then he came out then with uh, an eight issue series called The Killers and then has been putting out on a fairly regular basis uh, for the last few years. Stray Bullets, Sunshine and Roses, um, which I admittedly am woefully behind on that. But now that I'm reread all the original, I'm kind of fired up to to dive into that. But either way, uh, you know, again, this is an in your travel, so I'm not going to go hugely into it, but, but if you are into crime comics, if you're into violent comics, uh, I think this is one of those, uh, Mount Rushmore level, you know, this is up there with the, I don't think you'd have criminal if you don't, if straight bullets didn't exist. Oh, true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm saying, I'm saying it's my opinion because I don't know that I've ever heard, Brubaker and Phillips uh, specifically cite Lapham as a as a um, inspiration, but I just can't see. There's too many cross currents uh, in terms of inspirationally, and and to, to not think that they're that they're that, that one begot the other. But either way, if it, you know, again, I don't want to sell the short. Stray Bullets is a fantastic book, but it is an incredibly. Uh, whereas these YA books I was talking about are going to be very uplifting. And surface level, and uh, show you the bright side of life. Stray bullets is for when you're in the mood to be reminded of the absolute darkest side of life. The the most of the characters that you experience in this are deeply flawed uh, emotionally. They're violent. They have lots of things go bad in their lives, uh, and it's really almost like a story of just survival by attrition. Just trying to get through really shitty lives by being shitty. <laughs> um, uh, and again, I'm, I'm there's, we could spend hours talking about straight bullets. So, I, so I'm not, but, but ultimately that's the kind of vibe you need to be in the right mood for it. But man, oh man, I mean, I zipped through this. I mean, I was in a pretty good mood and, and, and I think you should be in a relatively good mood to read this. So it doesn't depress you to, to no end, but, uh, but it's, it, it's, it was, uh, I remembered most of it, but, but it was just, just even going back and rereading it, even though I knew, quote unquote, like what was going to happen. It, it just was an amazing read again. And he's a terrific, he's a terrific storyteller. Uh, I, the vast majority of it, if not the entirety of it is eight panel grid, um, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, his style, I would say is relatively 
realistic. I mean, right? I mean, you'd say that's pretty fair to say, right? Like he draws sure. fairly realistic. Yeah. Um, but it's also as a result of that, it's incredibly graphic uh, in terms of there's a lot of violence. There's there's uh, there's there's uh, a lot of sex, often not consensual. I mean, there's lots of things in here that are the dark side of humanity. But but I, I really do think he has a a way of uh, of of where I think Straight Bullets stands out from other books of this ilk is that he has a way of making these characters not one dimensional. Um, like they're not just all flawed for the sake of it. And like, that's what you take away. They really are surprised because you do get to know a lot of the characters because they're recurring and they interweave in and out of the book. I would say Ginny, if I, if there's a star of the book, I'd say it's Ginny, but, but that's even subject to interpretation because there's, she comes and goes. Um, but ultimately like this is a book where you really do see, uh, the, uh, the complexity of the human condition. Um, even the most vile people in this book, you see glimpses of things that they care about or people that they love or things that they make them happy. And, and then on the flip side, you, know, you, you, you just really do see uh, the, the, a lot of aspects of people. So it's hard to pigeonhole them, even though they may be overtly bad or overtly good. There are aspects of their, of their, of their uh, psyche, like any real human, um, that work on the other side of the moral spectrum. And I just love that about it. I think he is just a... A, a crazy insight into the human condition and uh i, I can't recommend straight bullets enough uh and and i do hope we we get it as a book of the month at some point or we do get david on to to to, to dive into it with him so one of my all-time favorite titles the innocence of nihilism yeah the first arc i yeah. love it i love mm-hmm. that title yeah he's a smart man yep yep very crafty creator but if we had him on, questions 1 through 12 would be Warriors of Plasm related, and then maybe we'd get to Stray Bullets at the end. Yep. I've never read Warriors of Plasm. You would absolutely hate it. Yep. <laughs> Guaranteed. Well, Tom, yeah, it's like Tomio's favorite comic of all time. Yeah, you would you would definitely despise it. You'd be like, Why? What? I, it's not for you. I guarantee it. See, well, but I, I always wonder when you say that, though, like, but why specifically, considering I love, I love Stray Bullets? I mean, It's nothing like Stray Bullets. It's it's okay, this goofy sci-fi. It's written by Jim Shooter. So yeah, I mean, that's yeah. And it's it's. I'll 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 float you an issue and you tell me if you liked it and then you. Maybe... Oh, it's, oh, so it's not it's, it's written by Shooter. So yeah, Lapa, but it was drawn drawn by Lapa. Oh uh, yeah, it was probably. it was the it was the flagship uh, defiant. Issue. No, I knew uh, that. Like I know I know yeah I knew but I okay yeah it's probably it's probably yeah <laughs> it's, yeah it's whack in all the good ways though. I might, yeah, who knows? Yeah, I mean, like, I love space mullet. Like, I'm not like, you know, like, mm. it's, like mm. it's it's yeah, it's not, nah, nah. Yeah. It's it's fits it's, if it's the comic should be ridiculous, Bill. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, add stupid at the end of it because it's Maybe part, David Lapa book of the month uh, poll, and you can put Warriors of Plasm on there. And it'll nice. Work. It's never. I don't think it's ever been collected, has it, David? Oh, is that right? Really? I doubt it. Oh, it may have been. There's a Christmas prestige one shot bookshelf. Yeah. But other than that, I, I don't ever remember seeing a. I have, a, I have some issues here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've seen it collected. But I mean, but Harbinger's been collected. 1984, it was collected. Yeah. So I guess. Long it, out of print. It though. may be out of print. Yeah. Yeah. Very long out of print, yes. Who boy. It's worth tracking down, though. You can find it for pennies. Every cheapy bin in the 
universe has at least one or two issues of uh, Warriors of Plasm in it. The real mission is is the binder, is the is the cards. I got Zero. it. Zero. Yeah. I know you do. I'm saying. It, like, for, apparently in 94, Defiant put out a trade, but it's also, yeah, it's out of print. It's just, yeah. yeah. Sorry. that's right Uh, oh hell yeah you can probably get all what is it 14 issues 13 issues for like five bucks yeah that's including the prestige one ask for change yep thank you my brother all right everybody hey thank you everybody out there for listening to this if you want more of the 11 o'clock comics experience such as it is go to twitter reddit instagram and facebook we're on there like a pox uh and do us a solid and yourself maybe and check out our patreon page patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics kiss your loved ones stick around to listen to tom kelly talk about his kickstarter and you oh. know you know the drill say good no a little bit of hetfield for your enjoyment there <laughs> <laughs> S&M 3. Uh, <laughs> David. It, uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got to tell you something after this. Okay. I, I, can't, I couldn't believe I saw it on, on Twitter today. It was a, David, it was one of those things where it was in trending. I couldn't fucking believe it. And Sebastian Bach was trending. <laughs> and I TV think thing. I retweeted it. Yeah. So you saw it? Oh, yeah. I saw that back in the day when that originally aired. Yeah, no, he had it. no. What it was, were you talking about? It was from MTV Cribs or something like that. Wasn't it? And he show, he's showing his comic collection. No, 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 no. It wasn't that. Um, oh, well, I saw that yeah, today. How could I have seen? How could there be two Sebastian Bach things in one day? We're all well, doing right? since he was trending. They probably just oh uh, maybe maybe yeah. But yeah. it was um he uh, he tweeted that um uh, wow I'm cool story bro oh <laughs> serious he's the coolest uh no that wasn't it it was um <laughs> he's just one. a tweeting machine huh he's can't find the right tweet wow hold on <laughs> let me just let me fucking search for uh, you know I'll take uh, up some time say what you will about Sebastian Bach. Dude has an immaculate voice. He's got a great set of pipes on him. I I was never a fan of Skid Row, but I do admire and respect the man's vocal chops. I do remember his comic collection from MTV Cribs. Yeah. There it is. Uh, he tweeted, uh, If you support the shithead in the Oval Office, you stand against rock and roll. And every musician in America who has been put out of work because a reality television show host doesn't believe in science. Coming from the mouth of Sebastian Bach. Nice. I'm waiting for Ted Nugent's fiery reply. Oh, <laughs> screw him. <laughs> brain dead motherfucker. Maybe he'll get trampled by a great white buffalo. Yay! <laughs> Everybody, we're out of here. We love you so much. Sorry for overstaying our welcome. Stick around and listen to Tom because we will uplift you and then come back for next episode. Fingers crossed. I don't want to get you all pumped up, but fingers crossed. Next episode may have a really big deal. That's all I'm going to say. Arguably the biggest deal we've ever had. All right, now. 
Relax yourself. Jesus. Talk about uh, I'm setting I'm expectations. Being, I'm being totally unfairly. honest. Totally. Yeah, but, well, but again, you don't under-promise and over-deliver. Come on. Yeah. It's a Scotty way of life, man. That's how I live. Massive importance. Oh, my God. Chances are uh, very good that they would not be listening to us had this person not been born, bro. I mean, why don't you just give him? A, a, why don't you just read him? Read him the solicit. I mean, no. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to butter the corn cob. You know what I mean? Get him a little bit enticed here. Listen, if it, if if it goes down as planned, we will hype the shit out of it. People will know. So start now. It has to happen though first, all right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just yeah, saying. No, I'm, not, no, I'm just see, saying. I know. No, I'm, not, no, I'm not excited until that phone call Precisely. happens. Precisely. It's like, it's, it's like the, I'm not excited for election day. I'm excited for the day after election day. I, sw- I swear if Skype acts up, I will walk. <laughs> drive to his house. I will Actually, drive. As we were recording, I got confirmation of the of the person in question's phone number, so we need to dial them. That's fine. I got plen- plenty of Skype clips. Figured as much, yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy $20 more. If it ensures that this is this is going to happen, well, it is. It was just officially confirmed about a half hour ago. Excellent. Y'all, y'all got your questions ready. I hope. No, we're you and well, the three of us need to talk to, tomorrow about that. Okay. Given the when we're not going to get into the details right now, but given the parameters with which we're working with, we need to yeah. be Massive. Unusual, unusually uh, focused about our yes. Program. Yes. Is 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 it Eastern time? Is is it East Coast? That is a great question. I need to double check that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, already, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's You'd... a great, great point. Because yeah. <laughs> not mentioned at any point. Yet. <laughs> we'll have to get up at nine o'clock. I'll be like, who the fuck is it? Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, come back. Listen, stick around. We'll be back very soon and we love you. Bye. All right. Our buddy has a Kickstarter currently in motion. It's a graphic novel, 120-page hardcover. Get out of town. It's called Foot Fist Frankenstein, preying upon the alliteration we love so well. And this guy, you know him, Tom Kelly. He's going to tell you all about it. Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to step on the intro there. But... That's all right. Jason does yes. it all the time. Why not you? It's true. <laughs> so... Well, I... I'm looking at this thing, and I'm, I know you as a single-image guy. You've been doing the con scene for years and years and years, doing great commissions with a very strong design sensibility. And then, all of a sudden, I see Tom is doing 120-page 100 graphic novel. Like, wh- what was the impetus? Did you just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to do a comic? Or has this been something that's been perking for a long time? Uh, well, it's been something that has been building and, and developing for a long time. The reason, uh, first of all, I'm kind of like, a, um, my when people see me at a convention, it's kind of like looking at the iceberg. They see the top, but they don't see the bottom of it because my convention setup is structured so that I don't go poor doing comic book conventions. I found a way to make sure that the things I sell on my table would do well at at any show. So, because I mean, originally my whole mission for doing shows 
was to talk to art directors and editors to show them pages to get work. Like that, that's always been the goal. Uh, at a certain point, I realized that like it'd be better not to just keep spending money on getting a an artist alley table or a booth space and try to recoup some of those losses. So about 2002, 2004, I really started working hard to develop my convention table setup experience. And at most shows, especially mainstream shows, it really is single images, prints, sketches, and, and artwork at that space that sells to the majority of people that go by. Like, you're playing the odds at, say, like a New York Comic Con. Like, how many people walk into that place, and then how many of them will be interested in whatever your thing is? Right. So, you know, so I've always been doing comics. It's just, you know, smaller things, because also, too, I want to get paid for products, I like, work I do. So... Like, that's why you don't see a lot of my comic book, like, work out in the ether. Like, I've done sequential work for, oh, yeah, comics up in Skokie, like, some kid comics that they've done. I've done stuff for DC Comics as, like, backups, and I did, uh, like, a web comic for them and stuff like that. Just nothing super regular and high profile, because, like, major publishers, it's very, it's a difficult nut to crack. Indie publishers... You can get in and do work, but you're actually almost paying them with your time to work on the pages. Right. You know, so it's kind of like, man, like, I, I want to break into comics, but it's like, imagine if someone told you, Vince, yeah, you can get into the comic book industry. All you have to pay is $400,000, and then you can draw uh, Spawn. <laughs> um. If I had 400000 maybe I would consider it, but I understand the comparison, right? You have to right, do – it's a lot of hard labor just to get your foot in the door, and then you're, well, you're, you're starting at a loss, really. Yeah, well, I mean, think about it. Over the years, if you spent just $400 for 10 years going to New York Comic Con trying to break into the industry, how much money would that be if you just kept that in your pocket and said, well, if I just save up this money – I can do my own thing with it later on, right? Right, right. And, and it, yeah, so you sort of, that's what you do. Like, for me, at a certain point, I was like, I got to work smarter, not harder. Of course, right. And the fact that you are, your initial journey here is the character that you own, that's the right way to do it. Well, you know, that's the funny thing. I didn't sort of set out to do a creator own thing. Like my goal was always to try to draw the X-Men, right? Like I'm an eighties kid. I read a ton of Marvel comics. So like, I really just wanted to be a, a penciler and like draw X-Men characters. Uh, but you know, as the environment evolved, suddenly doing a self published creator own thing, the, the barriers diminished. You had more things that could help you. Um, small publishing, small press, small printing with the internet, you can communicate to printers around the world and get like good competitive rates to print stuff. So suddenly, you know, your margin of like, what's the threshold to, to produce something that looks good really, you know, gets uh, like 
achievable, which right. is great. Yeah. And another plus is the audience you build is yours. You're not coming onto a book that's been in existence for 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you're going to have that guy that says, well, you know, Angel doesn't look like that, or Angel wouldn't act like that. Uh, you always have the diehards that pick apart and, and uh, dissect every little thing you do. This is your audience, right? They're here, yes. like Kirkman, they're here because of your characters, not a, a, a litany of artists and writers that have come to the book before you. This is all your stuff. So that, I mean... If yes, you're right. It is a there, there's a an element of risk to it. But if you hit, that pool is all yours. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, it's for every positive, there's a negative, and for every negative, there's a positive. Sure. Because it's like, yeah, it's my own creation, my own, you know, my own vision. So yeah, all the fans that get on board and like it, it's me. That's that's directly what they're getting and what they're liking. The flip side is you don't have that leverage of a character that's like, you know, so old and so famous. It has a built in fan base. Right. Like you can see it when, you know, Scotty young does um, like, you know, an, an X-Men book or a Spider-Man book instantly. Those readers now know who he is. Cause there are people who only read Marvel or DC and only read like Spider-Man or only read the X-Men. And that's like the only comic they read. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like saying you like music in some cases, but you only listen to one band, like the Beatles, let's say like they're a great band, but other people have made music since the Beatles and to get that, you know, so like, that's the weird double edge that you were talking about. Yeah. With this, the people who come here and like it, I know they like what I'm doing. They like me, which is great. Right. Right. And Scotty's road wasn't all that, smooth <laughs> if you remember oh no yeah no, i know I've, I've had those bar discussions with scotty yeah he broke them in yeah but you know, yeah so why don't i mean i have other than the copy that's on the um the kickstarter i have no idea what are we going to see here well uh, okay so you know i say on the kickstarter uh it's pretty much very much, if you think of it, it's like John Wick meets the Hulk by way of Kung Fu Theater, right? Mm -hmm. So what the, the kernel and the nucleus that gave me the idea for this was, was I would read like Hulk comics or Superman comics, and I would be like, they don't, like, they don't know how to fight. Like, the Incredible Hulk just shows up and gets tough. Like, that's why he wins. Like, he never does like a back kick. He never does a nerve strike. He never, like, does a rope-a-dope or anything like that. He just kind of shows up like a bull and just keeps, like, just hitting the wall until the wall breaks. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, what if a character like that actually could fight, like, like Bruce Lee, right? Like, that quick and that fast and that precise. And I thought that was a fun idea, so I wanted to explore that more. So once I had that idea... You know, the, the nucleus, I started, you know, developing it and working it out. And the next thing was, is like, well, Marvel isn't going to let, you know, I don't have a, you know, a direct hotline to Marvel. So there's no way they're going to be like, sure, Tom, yeah, just draw the Hulk and do that. That'd be great. So, so I started thinking, 
what character is like the Hulk, or really what is the Hulk's character origin. And the Hulk is like half Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and half Frankenstein. And I was like, okay, Frankenstein, the Frankenstein monster. That's a cool character. And I also know, like I did research, I'm like, him, Dr. Frankenstein and the monster are in public domain, so anyone can use them. Yep. And then I was like, all right, so now I got the character. I've got a, a, an idea of like what it's like. And then I wanted to make a type of martial arts movie like I used to see as a kid on television, right? Where, you know, like back in the day, there were three channels in PBS. So on like Saturdays, you'd have like a Saturday matinee. Well, that would either be a monster movie, like Hammer Horror, Universal Monsters, or it'd be like Kung Fu Theater, right? Yep. Like, so like a Shaw, Run Run Shaw Brothers movie, or Bruce Lee, or maybe like American Ninja or something like that, you know? And those I all love. Like, those are things from my childhood that I was like, oh, those are super cool and fun. So I was like, oh, I definitely want to do that. Like, because again, like, I'm approaching this more from, like, the artist's perspective. So I was like, what do I want to draw? Like, what do I want to do pages and pages of and just make a fun story? So I was like, wow, I love the the visual look, the stylings of, like, lots of kung fu things. I like big Kirby-like monsters that, like, you know, smash around and do things. And then I also really love, like, those books like, you know, Power Man and Iron Fist and Chang-Chi, where, you know, like, you have that sort of almost Bruce Lee type of effect just overlaid into a superhero or a, a different environment to play with. And so I was like, all right, that's what I'm going to make. And then I was, like, trying to come up with, like, well, if I was a Frankenstein monster, what would motivate me to do anything? Because I'm big, I'm strong, I'm tough already. Like, like what's going to be my motivating factors in the world? And then I thought about, like, well, what motivates people? And it's either, usually it's love or hate. So hate is revenge. And then I was like, all right, cool, you know. And I'd seen movies like The Raid, Redemption, and John Wick, and Dread, and those are a lot of martial arts action, but blended with a, like a, a modern sort of world. And that's what I really was like working to craft in my in the book Foot Fist Frankenstein. That, that's what I was going for. Love the black, white, and red. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, very tasteful. Um, but the the thing that strikes me about the art is you seem to have retained the stuff that you bring to your single image work. Very, very strong design, monochromatic. Now, was it, were there moments where you just wanted to scream in the process of this? Because sequential is a whole different language from single images. Now, how was the process for you? Well, the process wasn't as painful as you think. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in graphic design. I've, I've worked and, and still work doing graphic design and illustration work, uh, you know, since I was, you know, graduated college in 95. I studied down at SCAD in Savannah. That's where I got a graduate degree in, in uh, sequential art. Right. So I spent, you know, four years down there basically hammering out 
pages and, and working on the craft. And that was a real boon because at that, at that time, that department was probably the maybe one of the like three departments around the country that not only did comic books, but they taught you every aspect. Like I learned script writing and plotting and, and thumbnails there. Right. I learned computer coloring and lettering and page layout and inking and like every element of that of the craft that goes into it there. So I always had a very strong design sense. Like that's where my natural, um, like that's a natural gear that I have that flows very well out of me. Right. That's why like when you see my stuff, the single image things, uh, I, I do a fairly good job because I've thought that way for so long. Now, when I was making pages, um, I actually integrated a lot of that in like some of the guys that are like that influenced me in like comic books are people like P. Craig Russell and Walt Simonson and Frank Miller and like Mike Mignola. They're all very designy in their own way, but they still can tell a story like that's like, like interesting to look at and yet still relates to you like a, a cool narrative. Sure. So those were the sort of, you know, inspirations that helps that help me tell a visual story, but still keep it my like play to my strengths of iconic and simple and shapes and very design oriented styling. Because right. I've tried to be somebody like I love Bernie Wrights and I love Art Adams, but their style of drawing and rendering it's it's not natural to me it's so forced that like when i try to do it it just doesn't it just looks like a bad cover band version of them not really a true version of me the artist so like over the years especially doing it shows the feedback i always got was the more i leaned on my natural design tendencies and my graphic quality those were the things that people liked the best so that when i finally really did sit down to craft this book i was like no that's what i'm going for like that's the style it's going to be you know it's going to be all me this way and if only the people at shows that i sell it to and show it to like it well then that's fine because if there's one thing i've seen it was like well those people do like my stuff it's only when i talk to like editors it would be more like, well, it's it's good, but I don't really know where this fits in with our publishing mindset, right? You know, like, I've sat there and talked to the Dark Horse guys, like Randy and, and uh, you know, Chris, and they're like, yeah, it's good stuff, man, but I don't really know, like, where we can use this, you know? And you're just like, okay, I'm, you know, they're telling me I'm good, but they're also kind of telling me that, like, I don't know if it's like, you know, marketable to the mainstream. Like, I mean, that's what they say, like, right. You know, sure. That's the, that's the thing. And they're coming from a position where they can't lose money. Like, and they've told me this, like editors, have told me this, like, if I put you on a book, I have to take somebody off or not use somebody else. So even if I'm doing like the secret adventures of teen Aqualad and, and it's, you know, it's the worst-selling book on DC's, you know, stable. 
when I get on the book, they expect sales to go up. Like there, there, you know, there's no such thing as you get on a book and you go down and they still love you. It's like, no, that doesn't happen. Right. So, so they're locked into a box of like, yeah, like go be an indie darling and then we'll give you some work because you've already built up a fan base that likes your stuff. And that like, you know, then all we have to do is say, Hey, look, he's on this character that we've got. You all like him. You know, you bring your fans to the show. I mean, I think it was, um, Nick Patara said something similar, like right before he did like East to West, um, he was like, yeah, I went in and I asked, you know, for a raise and, you know, they sat him down and were like, you know, Nick, I'm sorry, but like, you got, you like, we can't give you more money. You gotta, you gotta be a bigger earner. You gotta put more asses in the seats. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I know Nick, he, he was at SCAD the same year as I was there. He was an undergrad and I was a graduate student. So I was like, I see him out on the convention scene and I'm like, Hey man, what's up? You know? So I've heard the, I've heard the unfiltered versions of those things. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's tough, but you know, you gotta, I mean, I understand the, the publisher's viewpoint that they, they want to ensure at least, uh, a certain number of sales but if you just keep playing it close to the vest like that like every new artist you bring in is is relatively similar to the last artist and the one that's going to come after him then then your line all has a sameness to it right um and then your that universe that publishing universe doesn't grow it doesn't evolve right i i i mean i know i'm not the one dealing out the money but if if I was, I would take the chance on the up and comers and the different voices and the, the unique perspectives because that's what diversifies your your visual language for your for your books. And I mean, if they're all looking the same, that's boring, right? Oh no, I agree, and I look at it like it's almost like. Um like professional wrestling, like right now, professional wrestling is just starting to do things like developmental where they literally have a developmental sort of function built into them where they try to find and like develop talent. But if you look at like baseball, baseball has, you know, grade school, high school, college, minor leagues, and then like major league baseball. Yeah. All, everything is a feeder system to, to develop talent in like comics. It's, it's funny because it's a pure entertainment industry. So there's not really like a mechanism of, of like, Oh no, we're going to keep an eye on these, like, let's say 50 people, right? It's more like wait until you impress us. Like it's like being out in the desert and then you're seeing this bright light. You're like, what is that? Like you instantly notice that that's kind of, you know, the mainstream publishing uh, conundrum, right? Because, like, they've got their properties and they've built, like, a protective moat around them because that's their job. They're supposed to, like, grow them and then keep them safe. But it's a it's a catch-22 because any talent you try to develop, like, you're not really going to, like, it's hard to get new like it's difficult for them to get new talent who isn't already jaded at them. Right. Right. So if they do get somebody to come in, like let's say it's Ed Piscor, right? Well, Ed's going to ask for real money. 
because he's already done, you know, hip hop family tree. And he's like, no, I did my own work. I'm pretty validated. Like, I know what I can do. So just give me a book. I will pitch what I want to do and then I will do it and then it'll be good and we'll all be happy. Right. 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 You know, so it is a, it's a weird, it's a weird conundrum there. And I mean, for me, like I said, now you have all the mechanisms that didn't really exist in say 1980. Like I could never make, I could never even try to approach people to get funding for a comic book in 1980. Right. The, the amount of money would be like double. I wouldn't have any easy way to communicate, say, to China or an overseas printer to actually get like a realistic like production rate. And then, you know, how do you communicate with people in 1980 to get the word out? Like, it's super hard, right? Like, so now all the tools exist that make the lifting not as heavy, not as difficult. So... Yeah, like back in about 2013, I got the idea. I was thinking of always, I had done a webcomic that I put out and it was, it was a fine first attempt, but it sort of ran out of energy for me because it wasn't something I was as into. Um, and, and so I was like, well, no, like I'm going to do a project. I'm going to do a graphic novel. I really want to do that. But I had to make sure the, like what I wanted to do had enough long-term legs so that like I could produce it over a period of time. Cause I knew it would take time. And then I'd still want to be able to do more with it after I got the initial graphic novel completed, you know? So there are plans for more books with this character. Yes. Yes. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. Like, the first trade is a complete story. You get a complete beginning, middle, and end, and it's, it's it's got a satisfying ending. But it definitely leaves room that you know you'll like the reader will want to know more and will want more, and I, it's able to do that. Like I, I structured it that way. Nice. One of the things that I really respect and appreciate in the copy is you don't make any bones about it. You're saying this is a Kickstarter, but this is going wherever I can get it. And I love that because most of the Kickstarters I've backed, they've been a little sly about that. They've said, you know, they, <laughs> they, they bring it to the Kickstarter and it's like, Oh yeah, thanks for funding us. See ya two months later in the previews. You know what I mean? So you're just like, no, this is how it is. I want everybody to see this. So I'm just being honest. I love that line. Oh, well, that was something that I, like, I did research before all of this. Like, I talked, uh, I'm lucky. I live here in Chicago. I have a lot of comic book friends on the professional side and the indie side. And so I talked and interviewed a lot of them to get a lot of feedback of, like, what worked on their Kickstarter, what was positive, what was negative, what were the feedback elements they got. And then, like you said, too, like, I've backed Kickstarters. And, yeah, it does kind of chat my ass a little bit that, you know, they give you this speech about how, you know, they're just this little guy trying to, to make good, which is cool. Many people are. But then, you know, a week later after the Kickstarter is over 
it's like, oh yeah, I've got to deal with image or, oh yeah, it's being picked up by, you know, IDW or something like that. And I'm like, well, okay, cool. But it doesn't seem like you really needed the Kickstarter to get that book made. Right. It that just, deal was probably well, in the, in the works before they even had the Kickstarter rolling. Right. It would have yeah. to be. Yeah. It would have to be because like that quickly, you're like, oh yeah. And by the way, they've picked up this book. I was like, Okay, and you know, hats off to those people. Like that's if you can work that mojo, that's cool. But just tell people. That's right. why I was like, no, man. Like I would love it if when this is over, you know, I get an email from somebody at Image or somebody at Dark Horse and say, man, I love this Kickstarter. I love this book. Like I want to put this out. Let's do it. And I'd be like, cool. The book is like, I mean, like, and that's another thing. Like I did all the work ahead of time for this book. Like. Like I say in the video and I say on there, like all the work is done, the penciling, inking, lettering, coloring, it's all done. The files are at the printer when, you know, I, once the campaign's over, I just email the printer and I just tell them like, push the go button, like start the presses. So I I, I knew I wanted to front load the work that way. So that I wasn't one of those Kickstarters who's like, hi, give me money in a year. I will then start fulfilling the book. Then I might send it to the printer. And then like six months after that, I'll send the books out. Yeah. Because like that really, I mean. If you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I have some Kickstarters I'm waiting three and a half years for. (laughs) Oh. Well. I've had two that have told me that like, hey, man. I just, it's not going to happen. Like that, they basically said that to me. Not like, not openly in those words, but I get a big long paragraph saying like, well, I had to spend the money to pay off this debt and now I don't have the money and I don't have like the time to actually like lay out the book and do this stuff. And I'm just like, man, you know, like that's not what we agreed to. Exactly, exactly. That's not, you know, and I hate it because, like, like Kickstarter is an interesting process. Like, you really are going out and and asking people, many people you don't know, to say, hey, look, I'm a good guy. I'm a hard worker. This is a dream of mine. I've wanted to do this for years, and now I'm making a run at it. And you say, hey, please, like, anything you can give, that's awesome, right? Right. And... Then to have someone come back later to you and say, like, oh, sorry, man, like, I just couldn't do it. I'm like, no, you can do it. You didn't do it. Exactly. Right. And, and it's I never want to be that guy. So no. I was like, no, I'm, I'm bulletproofing this before I do it. Well, reps are hard to shake. I mean, you get a bad reputation. It's tough to wiggle your way out of that. And the fact that you have all this stuff done in the can, ready to go. I mean, that's just says everything you need to know about your work ethic, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and the thing also, too, is like, like for you, like Vince, like you guys, like Vince, David, Jason, you guys have seen me at shows for years. Literally, I started doing shows in like 2000. Like, Truth. You yeah. guys have seen me on the on the trail out there. And so I barely ever even talked about the concept of this idea to anybody. Because I was like, nope, just like shut up do the work. No one wants to hear what you're working on. They either want to see it when it's done or they want to be able to get it right when it's about to come out. If not, it's just like, 
you know, it's like the New Mutants movie. Oh, <laughs> it'll be released whenever, eventually. You know, it's like, yeah. oh. And you sit there knowing your heart of hearts is like, if this was good, it would have been released a while ago. Sure, uh, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, One of the... And I didn't want people thinking that, so yeah. Right. No, it, it's a very, very smart approach. It's a rational, level-headed approach, which I think a lot of the Kickstarters are, are lacking. And I, I, I can't discount the enthusiasm behind the people that put these things up like yeah i love comics i'm gonna do this and it's gonna be awesome and then the reality of the situation sets in more often than not because of very poor planning um yeah i I backed a kickstarter like i said three and a half years ago that consisted of nothing but reprinted work right the the plan was spearheaded by a a well-known editor who worked at a company that published art by the best of the best. And I'm not going to name names, but it was, it was a a magazine series, black and white that all they had to do was reprint the art. And he had two versions, a soft cover and hard cover. Naturally I opted for the hard cover. So then you got these, these product, you know, uh, production updates where, Hmm, those text pieces that were in the original magazine, they didn't scan very well, so we're going to be awesome and we're going to reset all that type, which means yeah. that someone has to type it in, someone has to lay it out and, and you know, redo the photographs, which isn't a really big deal in, in this day and age, right? But anyway, you know, you give them the benefit of the doubt, and then another year goes by and the books aren't out yet. And then, you know, another year and people get the soft covers, which all of us dummies that ponied up for the hardcovers are looking at these guys yeah. with the soft covers and it's just and, and they'll send you a PDF. Here, here's a PDF yeah. of what you paid for. I don't want right. the PDF. I want right. that damn hardcover. Which is again just to wing it on back to you, which is awesome that all you have to do is turn the key and your books are gonna be starting to print. Oh yeah. No, I mean that was that was the Yeah, a lot of that, like a lot of what had happened to you you know, I've had that in, uh, you know, I've brushed with it. Like, I've backed Kickstarter campaigns. Usually there are people I know, like other artists I know. And I'm like, I know this person's responsible. Like Ryan Brown or Tim Seeley or Mike sure. Norton or somebody like that. Well, I'm not like, Norton, dude, I know. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> not, not Mike, unless it's pug related. He's, he's, uh, or, Blue, or Blue Beetle. Then he'll really shut you Um. But no, so yeah, I just, like you said, like you can get a reputation if you don't do that. And if you're, you know, this is your first book, your first project, you really don't want that. Sure. You don't want people just associating your name with with not getting it. Because here's the thing, like people are going to, like later on, you know, shows are going to be back up in full swing and, you know, books are going to be everywhere. And let's say I'm really lucky and fortunate and maybe, yeah, like image decides they want to like put, pick up this book. That'd be cool. And of course that will mean like other, like different, like versions will come out like a soft cover or something like that. And I don't want people coming up to me salty and angry at a show saying like, you know, man, I got this hardcover. Like it's cool, but like, this soft cover is like half the price and like it's got like other cool stuff in it. And I'm like, 
Yeah, I, I know, man. Like, it's amazing what happens when other people, you know, fund a project with money, right? Like, right. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want that buyer's remorse. That's why, like, even the PDF, right? Like, the digital version. The digital version of my book is actually a Kickstarter exclusive version. So there's a ton of extra bonus content. Like you're getting the digital version of the script, you're getting character designs and, and, and like the little mini Bible, you know, for all the different main characters. You're getting a whole bunch of like pinups. I had like 13 some guest artists to come in and do pinups for me. And then I rounded it out to like an even 20 by uh, putting in my own and even those ones in the the kickstarter like the digital kickstarter version are not the ones you get in the book like you're getting all the guest ones but mine are a different batch in the digital as opposed to the analog then the 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 last little bit that i really was vehement about from the beginning was i don't like how double page spreads work in digital comics I, they shrink the actual page and they make them, they diminish the impact. So I made the digital version of the book to have splash pages instead of double page spreads. Nice. So all the spreads in the analog book now are double page are now splash pages in the digital version. And so I, and I did have to sort of move some panels around and, and adjust the way I actually even drew those pages. It, it's not just a copy and paste job. Like the digital version is its own special sauce, if you will. Right. right. There's a lot of value to that. Right. Well, I also know like shipping is hard. Like it's expensive. There's delays and to ship to some countries, the book might be five times what it costs, you know, just, in regular production, like if the book's $20 to maybe ship to Australia might make it like a hundred dollars or 70 or $80. And, you know, look, I love Dan Pua, man. I don't want to make Dan pony <laughs> up a ton of money just to get a copy of my book. Sure. When I'm like, dude, get the digital version. It's super cool. I, I packed it full of awesome stuff. I mean, hey, look, I love Dan. I know he's a great comic book guy. And if he contacted me and said, Tom, no, I really want the book. I'd, I'd work with him to try to get him the, the best deal I could shipping wise. Mm -hmm. But the, the weird trick with that is from the time you get the books to the printer, from the printer to the time you actually send them out, shipping rates can flux. And even if you are guesstimating and estimating and doing due diligence, it can be a crapshoot. And the last thing I want to do is tell somebody in England or uh, Russia or Japan that, oh, yeah, I said shipping was going to maybe cost $35, but now it's $45. Yeah, that, that's and, no, no bueno. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to do that to somebody. They'll probably say, hey, man, I just don't want the book anymore. Or, it, you know, I would also kind of feel honored bound and maybe have to pay that difference myself and be like, you know, I promised this person that book. I'm trying to be a man of my word, so I will eat that cost. Well, I can't afford to do that. So I just set my Kickstarter campaign to like, no, if you want a digital version, that goes anywhere around the world. I'll send that to anybody. 
But if you want the physical version, that's the United States. Unless you are totally cool with like shipping to you, and then I will voucher you, I will send you what the shipping is once I know it is right before I send it to you. Right. It's a good idea. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, I just have to be honest. Like, And I'll tell anybody out there, just Google international shipping rates wherever you're at. Because in the United States, we have this thing called media mail, which means if you send a book or a comic book or a magazine through the United States post office, as long as it doesn't have advertising inside it, like ads, then you get a much more reduced shipping rate. So sending, let's say, like two graphic novels in just in a, in a box would be probably only about $7 to $10 in shipping. Sending that same box to just Canada, oh my God, you don't get any of the price break, so you're paying by weight and by size. So when those people create these like cool oversized like artist editions or specially oversized books, they're really shooting themselves right in the foot because it's like, well, there's no way we can cheaply ship this to just Canada and the United States, let alone uh, you know England. Right, right. Well, you know, it it uh, it sounds to me like you have all the bases covered, and that's completely refreshing to see. Um, because uh, we went over the the horrors of Kickstarter, but um, yes. it, you've I think you've went a long way in reassuring people that you're going to get it. It's you're going to pay what it says on the yeah. Kickstarter, and that's just that's the way to do it, in in my opinion. Right. I mean, I'm, I looked at it very much like it's a measure twice, cut once scenario. Perfect. So, you know, I, and again, like, I'm lucky. I got to talk to people like Ryan Brown, my friend Henri Comp, and my friend Dan Doherty, Gene Ha. They've all done a couple Kickstarters. And I was able to pick their brains. I don't compare, like, how, I don't put a metric on how well I'm going to do compared to them. But I wanted to learn, like, they've gone through this process. What can they tell me about the actual, like, doing of it? Because, like, you know, like, setting up the page and setting up your awards and figuring out how much shipping supplies cost and, like, creating, like, you have to, uh, there's a lot of things you can overlook or take for granted because they're not necessarily obvious, but if you can talk to people who did it and you learn like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I actually screwed this up. What I should have done was this. And then it's like, oh, OK, don't do this. Do this instead. I mean, I literally had a 70 page, like not 70 page, a 70 question document that I interviewed all those guys with. Like I bought them dinner. I took them out to a bar and we sat down and I went from question one to question 70 and was like, Tell me about this. Tell me about that. Tell me about this. And then I took all that data. I collated it, saw the commonalities and, and like crafted my campaign to try to be as, you know, bug proof as possible. Like, you know, there's going to be mistakes, but I've really tried to keep that down to like a, a real low level of, of stuff like that. You know, doing your job, yeah. my man. Yeah. But, Okay, so now we'll go back to the fun stuff. So I get to draw ninjas and samurai 
and a big Frankenstein monsters and fight scenes and Shaolin temples and uh, <laughs> all sorts of really super cool battles and fight scenes. And there's still a story. Like, it's not just action and fight scenes over and over again. There's a story there, and, like, that's another fun thing about actually working with, like, Frankenstein's monster, right? Because my premise is, this is the monster from the book. My story takes place after Mary Shelley's book. It's like, he's dealt with all the stuff with Dr. Frankenstein, and now he's just sort of roaming the earth. And this is the world he sort of walks into, this sort of martial arts space. And how how does Frankenstein's monster, um, you know, how does he react? How does he, like, work, live, and adapt to that environment, you know? And that was what was like, hey, that's fun stuff to draw. And then also I get to play with themes of, like, he's still an outsider, a stranger in a strange land, Uh, Which is like double for Frankenstein because he's a monster. He's not just, you know, like, oh, you're a Westerner. It's like literally like, no, you are something beyond that, you know. And I was able to also play with like other themes that are in like Mary Shelley's book, whether it's like science versus religion, um, you know, the relationship between fathers and sons. You know, then there's sort of, like, the relationship between man and God. Because, like, those are all elements that are in, you know, the the source material, if you will, that sort of first book, that I was able to say, like, oh, I can take this, you know, these components and help fuse them into the story I want to tell. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing take on it. And uh, I, for one, can't wait to see it. I won't give the URL... Because it's disturb, it's disturbingly long. Um, I know. I know. What what you got to do is go to our website for this episode. Would be six eighty four, and it'll be right there, and you can click on it, and you can cool. take your take you right to the page. And um, kudos to Tom, because as of this recording, it's already funded. Damn yeah. right. Yeah, but no. don't let that dissuade you, because you got to get in on this. Tom has a number of options you could well you'll see them you could just go for the digital go for the hardcover there's a lot of perks original art perks and it's just a really cool kickstarter and i think y'all should get in on it yeah no it's it's there's a lot of cool stuff and the nice thing too is that um at, you know when the stretch like their stretch goals when they get unlocked everybody who pledges gets a bonus like everybody gets like an upgrade like that's how it's structured so, like, when you back the book at the basic book level, if I hit that stretch goal, that first stretch goal, everybody gets an upgrade to that book. Everybody gets a bonus. So, you know, if you come, like, if you're listening to this to the last day of, you know, the Kickstarter campaign, you can still get in on it and, you know, get a lot of cool stuff. Like, Oh, yeah. So, you know, Really tried to make it that way so everyone got the maximum bang for their buck. Like, I really want people to, like, walk away and really be happy with this and say, well, damn, I just got a lot of stuff for what I put in. Like, that's, that's the you know, the goal, right? Yeah. That always makes you feel good when you look at the box that comes and you're just like, wow, I'm glad I backed this sucker. Yeah. But, yeah, oh, I yeah. don't say that often, but uh, I'm sure I will with yours. 
So. Oh ev- yeah, no. You'll you, like it. I, I oh, hey, there's no <laughs> question. So there you go. Get on Tom's Kickstarter and uh, support this man because it's it's genuinely good work, really good work. I can't wait to see it. Oh, it's awesome, man. It's going to be awesome. I, I guarantee you. <laughs>